Welcome to the New Author Podcast with your hosts, Jerry Evanoff and Lindsay Evanoff. The super siblings will take you through their days as they write, publish, and market their books. They'll talk about their successes, their mistakes, and everything in between. And occasionally, they'll veer off into tangents that will most likely be discussion of which episode of The Office is their favorite. Seriously, they talk about The Office a lot. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be educated and entertained, but mostly entertained. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Author Podcast. Today is March 6th, 2022. Wow. This is episode number 156, and I am not alone for the second straight week. And I think going forward, I am not going to be alone as uh, as Rich Casey joins me again to be my co-host this week and, and going forward as, as far as far as he wants to go. Um, I will say, Rich, before I ask you how you're doing, I feel like I might need a new open to this podcast because the one I had when I was by myself was here's Jerry by himself. And then I got a new one when Lindsay joined me that just said, here's Jerry and his sister. And it had funny things about the office because we both love the office. And now it's you and I, and I don't think I can play the one with my sister every week. I mean, are, are you okay with it? I, I feel like I need to get a, no, a new one. Well, you know, whatever you want to do, but uh, you know, you could do something interesting. Maybe we could like have some chorus girls or something lead us in. Oh, I like that you know, actually. Like, oh, that's you know, high kicking like the Rockettes or something. Oh, yeah, well, of course, but it's not video, so that it's an audio right. podcast. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. The, people have to use their imagination, I guess. That's um, right. And and how are you today? I always ask how people are doing. I'm doing. I'm doing well. Doing well. It was a kind of an uh, interesting week. Uh, started off the week good, then it was like my entire personal writing schedule got thrown into a blender and put on pulverized so hate when that happens yeah i know so i'm going to talk a little bit about that later on about how i started off the week thinking like i knew what i was doing in this writing (laughs) business stuff and then i ended the week or got to the middle of the week where i realized i didn't have a clue what i was doing Uh, let me ask you imposter syndrome it's a thing right yeah, of course it's a thing. Uh, I think it's a, it's not just, uh, you know, of course, with writing. Everybody at every professional level in any job at some point has imposter syndrome. Because we all know the mistakes that we make and the things that we goof up. And, the, you know, everybody, but we hide those. So everybody else is hiding theirs. And we look at somebody else and they look like they're perfect. And uh, it was especially bad this week when, uh, something else I want to talk about towards the end, when you've got a guy like Brandon Sanderson who... Uh, yeah who you know, does a Kickstarter for currently 24 million and counting. And you wonder, you, know, you think about, you know, that you, not only are you a small fish compared to that, but that you're never gonna come close to having the kind of fans and fan base that he has. I, I was gonna ask you if you had seen that he had done that because it wasn't, you know, it was everywhere that I look at social media and every podcast I listened to talked about it. Right, you know, and, and, you know hats off to the guy. I mean, he's, be honest, you know, I, I, I met him once at a uh, man, I can't remember what it, it may, may have been a bookstore signing or something when I was on the West Coast one time, you know, just for briefly for for a few passing moments. And uh, but I've, I've been tr- following his career for probably better part of a decade now, just because I do read fantasy. I don't read it a lot, uh, but you know, he's one of the hardest working guys in publishing, uh, in writing, I should say. And now he's going to be one of the hardest working guys in publishing. And what he did here. Uh, I think was just a stroke of genius because he 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 didn't he didn't kickstart to create something like most artists do. He has something already created, and it's ready to go more or less. The books are completed. It's a four book set, and he's what he's done is that he's essentially said in 2023. 
If you belong to this Kickstarter, you will be the exclusive audience for my books. There will be no other audience for these. Really? Books. So yes. it's, they're not being sold anywhere else they're, for 2023. Anyways, they're not going to be sold anywhere else. And it's not just books. It's depending on what I guess is highest subscriber level is $500 for the year. But depending on what subscriber level you go to, you get the eBooks, you get paperbacks, you get hardcovers, you get audio. So for 500 bucks, you can get all four of those. Plus every month, a swag bag of some oh, kind wow. related okay. to the stories themselves. So it, it was obviously well thought out. I mean, he, I'm sure given his status in the industry, he's got this team, uh, you know, that's helping him put these things together. Um, and he is going to, I think, with this Kickstarter, really make a lot of traditionally published authors, famous authors, very successful authors, step back and say, hey, wait a minute, why am I signing with a publisher when I can go directly to my fans and get maybe 25x, 50x, 100x the amount of income uh, from by doing it myself and not relying on them and you know supporting their infrastructure. I'll create my own infrastructure in order to do it. And and the amount of work that he put in to get to the point where he could do that. I mean, you and I couldn't oh, do that. No, no, the, no. The amount no. of work he put in to get to that is, yeah, it's it's been a long right. time. Did you ever, he also teaches the class every year, I think at BYU. Right, I, I have I have dropped in on a couple of those lectures and you know, they're pretty good lectures as well. Yeah, I like, yeah, I like watching. Yeah, he's had a lifetime of, right. well, I don't know a lifetime, but he's had many, many years of writing and developing not only his skill in writing, but also in developing his fan base. And that's always the key with Kickstarter. You have to have the fan base, right. fan base there. You're not there to create a fan base. Uh, yeah, so. I think he broke the record of, of my favorite show, Mystery Science Theater 3000, or I don't oh, know I, if, if it had been broken. If, if, I'm, I'm guessing it had probably had been broken before that, but about, about five years ago, they did a, a Kickstarter to come back for like a season. I think it was 11, maybe, maybe 10. I don't I think it's 11. And they, they ended up getting seven or eight and a half million dollars for a TV show. Oh, wow. And okay. um, and yeah, it was a big part of that. Well, I mean, Percentage wise, it was small, but I, I put a lot of money into that and um, it was great. To, and, and to see him just fly by that in no time is, is pretty amazing. Right. I mean, they, uh, you know, the, I don't know if you saw the initial goal on it. The initial goal was Wasn't one, it million. one. Yeah. Yeah. One million. So, and I, I, my, I wondered myself, were they thinking that this is an easy goal to make? If this is going to be a reach, you know, how did they come up with the $1 million? This is going to be, I think we look, we'll look back on this in five, six years and one of two things is going to happen. This is either going to be the moment where Kickstarter finally jumped the shark and from now <laughs> on, it's just not going to be really viable for most artists to use because it's going to, the, the big names and stuff are going to come in and crowd out the little people. I'm not sure that's going to happen because like we mentioned, you have to really bring your audience to mm -hmm. Kickstarter. So you have to build an audience someplace else, bring them to Kickstarter and that, you know, like Patreon, and like some of the other services, it gives you a direct link to your audience in a way for them to support you. But the other thing that I think this is gonna do is it's really gonna wreck the models of the traditional publishers because they're gonna to have to, you know, over the years they've been getting smaller and smaller upfront signing fees, you know, smaller and smaller royalty cuts. And this now provides people with audiences an alternative look at what can be done. You know, when, when when the Joe Schmo uh, indie author goes onto Kickstarter and you know makes you know ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty thousand dollars, you know that seems like a lot to an indie author, but it's not anything to a traditional author. Somebody you know, like Lee Child, for example, it's just to pick a name out of the hat. 
Um, but I wonder if you'll see, look. I wonder if you'll see like over the next five years or so, you know, this author comes on and breaks the record then this author comes on, they break the record and then this one, and it just keeps yeah. going like that because people start realizing go to Kickstarter. That's where your favorite authors are. Right. Can, can you imagine what King, uh, Stephen King could have done yeah. in his prime when he was really, when he was writing a lot more than he is now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just incredible. And especially if you get people who are writing series, uh, that's you know really where the, the money's going to be. Because that, well, number one, that's how you build a fan base. People keep coming back because they like the story. They like the world. They like the characters. Uh, and there's what about, isn't James Patterson right now writing with other people over and over again? Right, right. So uh, imagine if he did that, where he could put out like six of them a year with six other authors, and now he's doing the same thing. Right, right. And um, there's a lot of authors out there doing that, right? You know, the collaboration model, you know, has been big for the last few years. I, you know, personally, I've I've read books in that collaborative mode, you know, from authors who were big and then went on to collaboration. And, you know, I, I for me anyways, I could see the difference in the yeah. writing, but I may just be a little bit too critical. Uh, and you know, see a difference in the story that that's being told. Could but, you yeah. collaborate? I, I couldn't because I'm too controlling of my own stuff. You know, I probably could because you know I spent 30 years in academics, and all you do is collaborate in academics. Okay. So I could. It, you know, it would be different. It'd be different. In fact, it might, for me, it might actually be good because I tend to be too much of a uh, too much of a perfectionist now, <laughs> nitpick over stuff over and over and over again. I really need somebody over my shoulder saying, no, it's good enough. Let's just go smack in your hand every time That's you right. move the mouse. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into my stats. Um, book three and four, y'all know where they're at. I've been saying it for weeks. I still am working on getting the note cards for book three uh, typed out and printed. Uh, so far, so good. Um, it's just going to take me some time to do it because I have a whole bunch of chapters done on that one. Uh, I think I have about 35 chapters finished there. So typing out a summary and color coding the way I want, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, book one of the murder mystery, that's that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm working every day. It's up 2,842 words to 26,719. That is through the first seven chapters. Um, it's seven chapters, but it's about 12 scenes um, in, in the book. It's going to, like I said before, 31 chapters. It's going to end up being probably closer to 50 chapters once I'm done splitting it all up. I actually went into Atticus this morning while I was working on it, and I split up the Atticus chapter. So instead of having Atticus chapter one, I now have one A and one B, just so it's easy, it's easier to get the word count that way instead of having to, to, to deal with it. Atticus still has some issues. I, 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 are you using it? I, I don't know if we talked about this. No, I, have, I haven't tried it at all because I do have Vellum. And that was you know, the initial reason why people were going to move over to Atticus. And I'm kind of, at this point in time, wedded to Scrivener, although this my past week made me rethink that. Talk, <laughs> okay. talk oh, about good. That Can't wait to hear that. Um, you're prob- I wonder if you're going to go through what I went through back in like November when I decided to switch to Atticus. So um, I am. Uh, oh, my dog's going crazy. Back door closed. <laughs> the wind is so windy up here. The back oh, door right. closed. So I have to, uh, when you're going through your stats, I'll have to let him outside. Um, okay. Anyway, and I'm leaving that in. I don't edit anything on this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, so Atticus has some problems and I'll talk about him later, but it's, it's, it's still, I'm still happy using it because I know that they're working on those issues, but they are some pretty, they are some problems that make it tough sometimes to keep using it as of right now. But because I know they're working on it, it's a program in progress. Uh, I'm okay with continuing to use it. I am going to look uh, later today. I have an email of a support person there, and I am going to go ahead and um, and email them so and and let them know what's going on. I'll, I'll even make little videos if they want me to, because I know as a computer programmer, it's nice to get screenshots and or good explanations instead of "Hey, you have a problem? Can you please fix it?" Which is yeah, a ticket we they, see a lot. 
they would probably appreciate that coming from another programmer. Yeah, I remember when I, I was talking to Dave in Vegas and I mentioned I was a programmer, I know what you're going through. He says, ah, you know exactly what we're going through. So that's why I'll never complain about the problems they're having because I know I've been through them for the last, I've been professionally programming since 1996 and I've been going through it uh, every day. So I get that. So uh, let's see, I still have 12 chapters plotted. Um, I need to get more of those done. I'm That was going to be my evening thing. I was going to do it in the evenings, but over the past few weeks, my evenings have been kind of, odd and i'm not going to get into the, the personal stuff uh it's going to be like that for probably another couple weeks and then it finally clears back up and uh, i'll be able to work on it but i do want to try to get a couple chapters plotted here and there when i get time over the next couple weeks uh mailer light sitting still at 857 I, I have done nothing to increase or decrease that in a while um in terms of last week's goal uh that was to finish chapter seven which i did that this morning uh, in terms of plotting, like I said, I just haven't gotten to that yet because of my evenings. Um, and then Story Grid, I'll talk about Story Grid later. I know I talk about Story Grid a lot on this podcast. It's probably, you know, other than having my mom rip apart every chapter of my first book, send me notes and stuff, Story Grid has been like the biggest influence on me in terms of how to write, in terms of um, um, how to create a story. You know, mixed story story grid with the hero's journey, and it's that's perfect for me. So, um, I'll talk about in a little while uh, what's going on there. I did want to update uh, chapters three and four in my story grid last week, and I just did not get to it this week, uh, last week. So I will get I will get back to it this week. But I'm making more changes to my story grid, so um, that's kind of slowing me down a little bit. And I know at the end of last week, I said one of the things I wanted to do this past week was create a Myrtle Beach trip, and then I decided after looking at flights there's Tuesday and Wednesday that I'm not going. It was. It was just horrible. I'll get into that a little bit later, but I, I airlines are just awful. So, oh, and, the and then finally, yeah. what's that? Airlines have become terrible, not only in terms of scheduling, but in terms of pricing too. That's a big problem right there. Yeah. So, um, all right. So the, the last time I'm going to be reporting this on this podcast, probably ever, the number of Perry Masons left on my DVR, it is down to zero. I watched the last one on Monday. It was it was like every other series finale of every show you've ever watched and been disappointed in. It wasn't that it was bad. It was just, it was another episode. It was kind of boring. Uh, um, I'm not going to give a spoiler alert on who the killer was, but I called it from the beginning. It was obvious. And, uh, but I'm happy. I, I went looking for the movies that, so I have a Roku and you can search Roku and it searches all the different streaming services and it didn't, the movies did not show up anywhere on any of the streaming services on my Roku search. So I don't even know if they, I know they exist. I don't know where they exist. So yeah, that's kind of odd. You think somebody would have them. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what to do next. I'm thinking I'm going to go with murder. She wrote, but we'll see. I'm going to decide that this week. I think so. It's always yeah. sad when a long series like that, either, you know, television movies or, uh, you know, books and, and they end on kind of a thud. You know, you, you yeah. always want your favorite things to go out with a bang, you know, the best episode ever, but it very rarely seems to happen. Yeah, it's I mean, because... Seinfeld was my biggest letdown ever. I love Seinfeld and that last episode. I've only ever watched it once because it was that terrible. Right. Um, and I'm a I... Lost fan. I enjoyed the Lost finale, unlike a lot of people, but I enjoyed the Lost finale. So I think part of the problem is that once somebody, once a, a production group or a writer gets uh, gets something successful, uh, it's very hard to say, okay, I have to cut this off. You see, you know, it's an income stream to, yeah. to all the people who are who are working on the project, and you want to milk it for as long as it goes because you never yeah. know if you're going to have another one or not. And uh, yeah, so they they all last too long. And that that's what I have so far. What do you got going on? Okay, well, my stats, my my book one that I'm working on, it's currently up to fifty five thousand three hundred eighty four year words which is up 3,631 for the week, which 
at least from a big picture perspective, sounds like not a bad week, but uh, as I'll talk about later uh, on a day-by-day basis, that my routine completely failed me this week. And I probably should blame myself, uh, but I'm going to blame all the kids in the coffee shop because it was a holiday week, Mardi Gras, and, ah. and the start of Lent. And here in the Deep South in Catholic country, kids get the entire week off from school. So they are Oof. everywhere out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to have a kid or two here and there, but it's, it's a lot to have a, a half dozen or a dozen wandering around. Not that I don't like kids, but you can't concentrate when they're wandering around like that. I did read uh, two books this week. I'm wow. bringing me up to about, let's see, what, to nine for the year or 3,248 pages read. I've decided I'm going to start keeping track of all the pages because you could read really thin books and it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> uh, so I'm on pace to read 60 books. And since my goal was to read at least 50 at the minimum, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But I still need to move on from these white male authors and get more females and more diverse authors into the mix. Uh, the ones I did read this week was one called Solstice Goat by Steve Higgs, uh, another indie author that we know. Who And the story was okay. Uh, but reading this book, and this is the first time it really struck me uh, with Steve Higgs. And, and we know that he has become extremely successful, not overnight. Uh, he's been working at it for three years now at least. Uh, but he writes short stories, not short stories, but shorter novels. In the somewhere in the forty to fifty thousand range, his his books probably average around two hundred pages, something like that. And what I came away with reading this book was the overwhelming sense that I wanted more of the story. But he had to make a creative choice, and I guess it's a creative choice we all make at some point: is are we going to do the entire story that we that that's possible to be told in all its embellishments or are we going to go for product and quantity and i think when people start talking about the the quantity versus quality in indie versus traditional publishing this is probably it occurred to me this week this may be really what they're talking about it's not really quality differences it's how much of a story you're going to tell you're going to tell a little bit of the story and and leave the readers wondering what happened with a lot of the things that are going on in the background or are you going to kind of flesh all that out uh, and naturally fleshing it out and making a longer book is going to take away from the number of stories that you can tell in a, in a typical year so that was just something that really hit me upside the head and I, I don't know why i hadn't realized that before but that, that's something i i need to think about too because especially when if you really do want to get a business going which i'm not sure i do um you gotta have something to sell, like Dean Wesley Smith says. You have to have those widgets on the on the shelf for people to pick up whenever they wander into the shop. And um, it's very difficult to do that when you're starting off and trying to write really involved stories. Could you could you write a forty thousand word story, or, or would you like? I know I couldn't. I'd, I unless it's a short story that I made longer. I would feel like I'd have to have it longer just for it to be like you said, more description, more more of the story. Right. I don't think I could stop at forty thousand. Well, that, well, that's one of the things that I realized also was that my first drafts are always under 50,000 words, 40, 40, 45,000, somewhere in there. And it's because in the first pass through, I don't go into a lot of that embellishment. I'm just trying to get the story down. And my, from what I've read, I haven't talked to Steve directly, but from what I've read, 
from what I read, that's what he does. He writes a first draft. He does not go back and rewrite. He does not go back and, and add stuff in. So essentially, my first my first drafts are his first drafts. Same kind of thing in terms of length. Uh, I don't know if my first drafts are are good enough to just be kicked out out the door for people to read or not. But uh, yeah, you know that's something. I no, I I don't know if I could or not. Uh, as I as I evolve as a writer, I want to see some of that embellishment in there. I want to see some of that detail, that setting, that subtext. It's just it makes me happy when I read. So it makes me happy when I write. Right. The, the other book I read uh, was a nonfiction book called How to Write Pulp Fiction. This is the other thing that got me thinking along these lines by uh, James Scott Bell. I don't know if you know uh, James Scott Bell or not. He has a, a blog called Kill Zone, which is, uh, is really good. And uh, he has a lot of books out there uh, on writing. And, uh, you know, it's kind of what you would expect in a, in a book about writing pulp fiction. You know, you have to write fast. You have to write crazy. You have to publish and repeat. You know, it's all based on word counts and stuff. But one thing that that's, that struck me in reading it was he has he had this little section where he talked about uh, the when you write fast, as we've been talking here, you're not going to get a lot of detail. And not only that, in terms of the setting and stuff, but one thing you're not going to get a lot of detail on is the internal dialogue and the emotional journey of the characters. And the problem with that is. For some readers, maybe for the bulk of readers, they want to see that emotional journey. They want to connect to the character. They want to understand what the character is thinking, how they're changing over time. The tradition of Pulp Fiction was not to have a lot of that in there back in the 50s, 40s and 50s, was to just, you know, basically tell thrillers and with no internal characterization. But he said if you want to do the internal characterization, if you want to get people more hooked onto the characters that you have, one way to handle that is to, when you get to a spot where you've just come off some kind of a climatic ending to a scene where it just begs for uh, an internal uh, discussion of that scene in the character's main character's head, then just put some kind of mark in your writing and continue. You know, put a slash, put some, some asterisks, put something there. Then later, go back, after you've got the story down, go back to those spots Put yourself back in the character in the, the head of the character and free write for a page or two all the things that that character might have been thinking as he's walking away from having just uh killed uh an innocent bystander or something like that uh and then put that on the sub that page or two on the side go back to it a little bit later an hour or two later and read through it and kind of highlight what are some of the lines or some of the thoughts that you think really stand out from what you free wrote then go back and put those where the you have put the mark into your original text. And that's one way to get some of that characterization in there at low cost for a person who wants to continue to write fast. And I thought that was really interesting to do something like that. Yeah, that is interesting. In fact, what I'll do, and I don't, I don't do everything you just said, but what I'll do is a lot of times if I'm just writing in a lot of, we've, we've talked last week about how a lot of it is dialogue as we're going through, I'll go in and put, I always put it in brackets and then I boldface and I'll just add sadness here or something like that. Oh, let's see. I don't even do that. So that, yeah. that's something I really need to start doing. And then that I bold it so that when I go back and read it later, I don't forget about it. I don't miss it. Um, and then I'll get out my, my trusty, uh, have you used the um, emotion thesaurus? I'll look at that. Yeah, I do have that. I, love I have, that I have book. a couple, couple of resources like that. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, words, uh, words that convey sadness or you know whatever, like you and, said. 
Well, I usually uh, type something out and they go, wait, I already have their eyes wide me like nine times in this chapter. I got to find something else. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. My, for me, it's uh, it's shrugged and grinned. I have to. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I have to, to work on, on getting those out. But that's where uh, a pro writing aid really comes in handy because it uh, will flag all those repeated words that you use, especially if you use them within close proximity to each other in the text. So that's... Uh, that's uh, some, uh, something that's really nice to have it in this digital age to help you that, that an editor would have done at one point. Right, 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 right. Um, just another little throw at the end of that book, uh, How to Write Pulp Fiction. He has a number of pages, I don't know, a chapter, a whole chapter, uh, this imaginary conversation between a journeyman pulp writer and an, a wannabe who shows up in New York and kind of walking him through how he has to break into the industry and, and and the way in which you can you do it, uh, so that that's kind of there's not no nothing really nothing really uh, special about it other than the fact that to see an accomplished writer uh, kind of interacting with a newbie at least in his own mind. But it was it was actually a fake conversation in a writing right. book. Okay, that's really right. interesting. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I like that. That that that's something that would be actually be enjoyable to read, uh, based based on the fact that you just read a whole book on how to write, and then you get to that, and it's like, oh, a little story. I like this. Yeah, exactly. And he has he has a number of examples in there of different kinds of genres, um, in the book, and how a pulp story in this genre would look like. Right. Opposed okay. to something that's a little bit more literary. So it is a good book. I mean, if anybody's interested in writing fast, writing a lot of stories, getting them out in a short period of time, uh, Pulp Fiction by J. Kyle is, is a good resource I think they have. Yeah, I'll you link to it in the show notes. You mentioned something a minute ago about you know putting brackets in your text, like insert sadness here and stuff. And I don't do that, but I could do that because one of the things that I find myself doing, one of the things that slows down my writing quite frequently is I find myself uh, immersing myself in the world, in the setting, in my head, and having conversations with the character in my head. And sometimes, and I kid you not, sometimes I'll go an hour or so, I'm just, I've just been sitting there, maybe with my eyes closed, maybe not, I don't know, wandering around in the world, having conversations with people, I'm not writing a thing down. So I'm just kind of living in the world itself, and not really, not really transcribing it out of my head onto paper. Not, not as one of your characters, but as you in the world. Right, right. That you know, I take on like an avatar of some, you know, of me in the world, and it's, it's really, it's you know, when you pop out of it, it's a really bizarre feeling that suddenly you realize that you were someplace that doesn't exist that you're creating, uh, and you always, I always say, well, I really wish I would run some of that down because I can't remember it all now. It's kind of like you've a dream. Your, you've got your own little Ready Player One type thing going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sounds good. That's kind of true. Um, okay. And the only, only thing I have to report is the number of fountain pen inks has not changed. It's still a 28. But I did make an interesting and unfortunate discovery in that I had thought all, water, all uh, fountain pen inks were water soluble. Uh, it's kind of a function of the technology of fountain pens. But uh, I discovered that there are some Japanese inks out there that are not water soluble, and that they. Oh, will did be... you find that out the hard way? I found that out the hard way by spilling a bunch of it and getting it all over myself and having these purple, blue hands for a while. Oh no! <laughs> and they're finally starting to wear away a little bit where I got it all over my fingers. But yeah, I'll, I'll survive. But it's also interesting that there is somebody out there making indelible inks for fountain pens because when you think about it. You know, there's people who use fountain pens other than crazy people like me are 
you know, executives and things who are signing important documents where you can't really have that stuff being washed out. You know, it's got to be uh, there permanently. And yeah, there's there's some out there. Fact, I, the I will. I will admit when you told me last week about this, that you, that you had these, and this is how you write, I, I for whatever reason, my, my head went immediately to calligraphy as if you're writing your, your first draft in calligraphy. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, w I would love to be able to write that neat, but that's not that neat. That's okay, not good, okay. I've been told, I mean, I was sitting one time at a coffee shop, uh, and it was crazy packed, so I was at a big long table and there was these, these teenage girls, I guess they were teenagers, they were probably college students actually, sitting around me. And when they got up to leave, one of them leaned over and said, man, you have beautiful handwriting. I looked oh. at my notebook and it was, you know, it's sloppy. My wife says it's sloppy and you know, nobody can read it. But to kids nowadays, nobody writes longhand. Nobody that's knows how, really how to write longhand. <laughs> so anything looks like calligraphy. To <laughs> yeah, that's true. Especially if it's any kind of cursive in it, it's, it, it right. probably looks like it's some fancy, you know, 18th century London person writing a document or something. Right, right, exactly. And sometimes I feel that old, so, you know. Yeah, right, right, there you go. <laughs> and so that's pretty much all I have for my stats. All right, so talking about, uh, we both talked about last week, um, you had said yours was a little bit crazy. Mine was, mine was pretty normal in terms of the writing. I did, I, I, I find it, I find that I change around my routine every now and then, but I still get the same number of uh, writing sessions in. So Monday, uh, I worked from home all day like normal, and I took my writing day off. Um, I, I decided that Monday nights are my writing day off. That could change once my golf league starts up in, on uh, on uh, in Tuesdays at the end of, on Tuesdays at the end of April, um, because I'm gonna have to make up for not having that night on Tuesday to go write, where I might have to do it Monday night or something else. So we'll see. Tuesday, I went to Hothead like normal. I added. Um, 767 words uh, to chapter seven. And uh, and that's really just doing all that first draft stuff that we talked about, mostly dialogue, just getting the words down before I go back and actually uh, do a little bit of editing on it. I did start looking at the whole Myrtle Beach stuff. Um, it, I, I spent about two and a half hours trying to figure out, find a combination of flights and hotel that I wanted to do that weren't... Um, you know, super expensive. I was getting frustrated with Travelocity and Expedia because I would pick two flights, I would hit submit, and it would go to that uh, page where you pay, and the flight, a uh, message popped up says the, the flight went up by two hundred dollars. So it was five twenty five, and now it's seven six. It happened every time. It was very frustrating. So I went to Booking.com. I've been seeing their commercials on TV the, the last couple of days, and I just curse them every time. Um, I went to Booking.com, found something really good in terms of a hotel and a flight combination, and I got all the way to the end. I put my credit card in, my traveler number, everything. I hit submit, and it says, "Sorry, we sold out your flight. Please try again." Happened multiple times also, and. I was just utterly frustrated with it. Decided I would wait until the next morning to keep looking some more. So Wednesday morning, I got up super early for work, um, did some searching in the morning. And after about an hour, I was like, I'm not going. I'm not going to deal with this. It's, it was a four-day trip where two of the days were travel days and two of the days were golf days. With the cost of hotels and flights um, and the golf, it had been like a $1,500 trip for like two days worth of fun. Oh, and, wow. and, and I'd rather save those vacation days and that money for something else. Number one, I'm still trying to pay off my car and, and you know, that's a $1,500 I could put on my car. That's a month earlier of paying it off. So it, it, I just decided not to go. I texted the guy who, who I golf with in the, in the summer, he's down there now and said, I'm not coming. You know, I'll save those vacation days for like a, th a random Thursday in the summer where you're golfing at some course in Cleveland I've never been to and, and I'll come up and join you then. And he was okay with it. So, um, you know, one, one of the things uh, that I can tell you from my years of traveling for work, where we, you know, we didn't have uh, 
travel agents who would make our bookings and stuff for us. We basically had to do it ourselves. And um, one of the things I discovered with these meta sites like Expedia or Travelocity and stuff is that they are given a limited number of seats by the airlines. So if you find a, a flight and a, a schedule and an approximate price that you're willing to pay on one of those sites, instead of booking with those sites, what I would always do is then bounce out and go directly to the airline itself and check and see what they were offering. And usually, you know, they, they would probably be a little bit more expensive, but it wasn't outrageous. It'd be on the order of 20 or $25 more, uh, more expensive, but it would still be, there would be availability. So you, when you don't run into that problem where you go through the whole process and uh, then you're locked out because the seats have been sold. So I did that. Um, oh, okay. I, I have Delta Sky Miles and I have American Airlines Sky okay, Miles. Where they were, and um, I, they were they were about the same price. Like I said, they weren't very much higher. Uh, I was excited on on Wednesday morning because I'd spent all that time on Travelocity and Expedia. And when you when you go to those sites, they give you the the round trip price, and then when you you pick your on the actual departure flight, and then when you go to the uh, uh, no wait the when you go to the part where you're coming back home and you're picking your flight home, they, they, they say, okay, this flight, if you pick it, it's plus zero. And this one is plus $20. This is plus $600. So I went to Southwest on Wednesday morning and I saw a flight for $365. I was pretty excited about it. I was 365. This is perfect. And then I realized it was 365 one way and I was paying $730 for the round trip, which was great. pretty, and that's, and that's, I was going to take my golf clubs with me. So I'm now paying even more for carry on. And it was just, it was a waste of time. So. Yeah, I'm definitely not going. I also on that same uh, on that same Wednesday morning, I did a, a formal request for my money back from Craig Martell for 20 bucks Vegas. Uh -oh, um, so you made, made the decision, made finally. the decision. Yeah, the, the vacation days are, you know, because I'm going to Spain and getting that writers conference, which uh, my guess is I've seen all of the so when I went to when we went to Scotland. Uh, we saw a bunch of people speak and it was over two days. It was, it was really good. And then Vegas three months later was a lot of the same people doing the same exact talk. I mean, I've right. seen Chris Fox give the um, right to market talk every year and it, he changes it up for each year, but it's a lot of it is the same. And um, so missing out one 20 books Vegas, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. It's, it's more about missing the people like if you're there and if Carol comes back and she's there and, and that kind of thing, missing and seeing those people, it, you know, I'm going to miss that, but I'm going to watch the videos on YouTube. I don't even think I'm going to sign up for a virtual one because I work during the week anyway. So I'm going to do a, I'll do a, a the, the YouTube videos once they're out for the people that I want to see. Um, right, right. Now, one thing about the, the refund that you request is there's no guarantee you're going to get your money back. What he's doing, which is fine. Um, th there's 99.9% .9 of the companies that I deal with in my life. If they didn't give me a refund, I'd be pissed. But with this, I'm actually okay with him saying we didn't make enough money, you know, because he's not out there making a profit. If he needs it to get closer to his profit or to get closer to, to break even, then I'm okay with it. Um, you know what I did last year when I, uh, you know, at the last minute I made the decision not to go. What I did is I, uh, I, I think, I don't know if I, Elaine or, or Kendra was uh, taking care of it for Craig at that point. But I just emailed her and, and told her to uh, just, you know, I'm, I'm not coming. Uh, you know, just keep my money and invite somebody who couldn't afford to come yeah. otherwise. And so they just used it like a scholarship or something. 
So that's something right. you can yeah. do too. Yeah. Lindsay and I did that for the 2020 Vegas that got canceled as we just told them keep it. And then we ended up getting, when we, when we went to the sign-in in 2021, we got, we were one of the few people who got a whole bunch of 2021 swag where they were giving away their 2020 swag to everybody else. So they right, ordered right. 21, 2021 for the people that actually donated their money. So right. I did get my 2021 badge. Cause I have a badge from everyone I've gone to. It's hanging in my back room right now. Oh, and cool. uh, I'm disappointed. I'm going to miss out on the 2022 one now, but it's, it's better for me um, to do that. Right. Uh, I did go to lunch. I'm doing the lunch now. I love this. Um, Wednesday and Thursday, I'm doing the lunch hour and getting some writing done. I, I was finished basically with chapter seven. I was working on the second scene now. I added 232 words to it, adding in the emotion, the description, all that good stuff. Um, Thursday, the same thing. I added 338 words. And at that point, the legit first draft of, of I mean, when I say legit, I mean the definition of a first draft that was now finished with that chapter. Um, and then that night I was like, boy, I'm in a kind of a writing mood here. So I ended up going to Hothead that night too. So that was Thursday night. Added 615 words to scene one, finishing that legit first draft. And now chapter seven is finished. Finished. Um, I also had a guy stop by. It was very odd. The guy who, who uh, did, he built my golf simulator about a year and a half ago. He was wandering down the road. I don't really know why he was doing this. Did you ever see the, the, the guy's uh, perfect example maybe not the best example is Bruce Willis in Die Hard 3 when he's got the signs over his front and back with some things written on oh, there yeah, that yeah. you shouldn't say. Yeah. yeah. He's walking down the street. My, the guy who, the, the contractor who did my golf center is walking down the street with his, his company logo and his name on both sides. And I'm on the phone at the time and I open my door and I go, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm out uh, you know, pandering is what he said. I think he was joking. He may not have been, I don't know, but he was basically walking up and down the street, just knocking. I don't know if you can knock on doors, but I think he was, people were outside cause it was a nice night. He was talking to everybody about if they need any work done. Right. So I was on the phone right? and he said to me, do you need any work done? And I said, I do come back later. And he came back and we went looking at my golf scene later. It only has three sides on it because I don't have a whole lot of room in my backyard, but I did ask him if we can get creative and put a fourth side on there. So he's going to put together a quote, put together some ideas and, and bring it back to me. And if it's something that looks good and is not super expensive, I'm probably going to do it just to get a fourth side on there. Oh, he mentioned, although while we were standing inside the golf center, he mentioned something to me I hadn't thought of, which is in the summer, I love having that wall not there and just, I'm almost standing outside doing it, which is fantastic. So I don't know if I'm right. going to cover that up in the summer. So well, you, you have them designed it. So there's a couple, like a couple big doors that you could open up and fold back against the rest of it. So yeah, like a retractable roof that a football stadium yeah, has. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if I'd want him to get that creative with it. I don't, I don't know. He, <laughs> he did a great job, but believe me, it wasn't like up to my dad's standards of woodworking. I think my dad was ready to, to call his boss and yell at him. I, I'm perfectly happy with it though. Um, so let's see, that was Thursday, Friday. Okay. So Friday, I, the reason, the other reason I went to hothead on Thursday is because Friday night, I did not do any writing at all. I ended up going to our a local casino that we have here to bet on horses, something that we used to do. Me and a couple of buddies used to do it back in the 2000s, early 2000s. We used to go to this place in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. It was an off-track betting place. And we would just sit on Saturdays from like 11 a.m. to 7.30. We'd eat lunch and dinner there, and we'd just do nothing but bet on horses. And we hadn't done it in a while, and COVID shut it down for the last couple of years, made it tough to do. But uh, we decided to go up Friday night. We did not do – anybody who follows me on Snapchat knows we did not do well. Um <laughs> I lost, I think, $102 betting on horses. And then we were doing some combining bets where one thing we'll do is we'll each throw $10, box, $10 in the pot, take a $30 bet on a horse to show. So it only has to finish in the top three. Usually it pays like a dime on every fifth, every $2 you put in, but slowly it builds up. And our thought was, 
if we ever get to a certain number, we'll just stop and split it and start over. And uh, we, we did not, it did not go well. We couldn't even pick a horse to finish in the top three for a good period of time. So um, you know, a, little, a little known fact about me is that when I was 16 and 17, I used to be a hot walker at a racetrack. I don't know if you know what a hot walker is, but back in the day, um, I think now they have machines where they hook a horse to that wrote that go around in a circle and walks the horse to both warm oh, yeah. them up and cool mm-hmm. them down. Well, back in the day, at least at this track where I was at, uh, which was a harness track, uh, you would do it. Uh, individuals would do it and instead of being hooked to machines. So I would walk hot walk horses. And I never saw anybody come out of that racetrack who looked like they won money. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's the same thing that they say about casinos. You know, they don't build them on winners. So that's right. Um, so we did that for a while, and then on the way out, I was like, oh, I'm down like a. I think I, I think I was down 107. That's what I was down. And I thought, well, I probably have free play on one of the slot machines from the last time I was here, just a couple of weeks ago. Let's just see. So I sat down. I had twenty dollars worth of free play. I did not put a dime in the machine. I cashed out ten minutes later with sixty-seven dollars, and um, ended up only. Losing losing about 30 bucks for the, for the entire trip. So it worked out well. I was pretty happy with it. And yeah, um, a couple trips to hothead. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. So, uh, so that was Friday, Saturday. Um, let's see. I went to Chick-fil-A like normal. I added 859 words to the scene one of chapter seven. As I started going through my, my whole writing into the light that I like to call it, um, piece of this thing. And, um, I, did I finish it? Yeah, I pretty much felt like I was finished at the time. Now, I wasn't, but at the time I thought, okay, I'm good with chapter seven. Tomorrow I'll start working on chapter eight. Um, I ended up going to AT&T. I think I talked last week about wanting to buy a tablet. Uh, right. I keep looking at videos. I keep trying to find something. And the problem is, is that uh, according to what I read, there's really not a lot of money in an eight inch tablet that is like really high powered. You know, all the eight inch tablets that are out there are either cheap you know, not a lot of memory. They're probably a little bit jumpy, not the best tablets or their iPads, uh, the iPad mini, which is $300 more than a Samsung one. And I'm not an Apple fan anyway. I don't really have anything that's Apple related. I would get one if the price was okay, but um, I'm just not into paying $450 for something that I might use a few times a year. Those, those are words you don't hear together. Apple and the price is okay. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I was looking at a couple of Samsung ones and I went, I, so I stopped at the AT&T store and they had a, a, an eight inch, it's a Samsung, I don't know, tab seven, I think it's called. And it was fine. It probably would be okay for what I want it for, which is just some reading in the evening. So I don't have to grab my laptop and take it to my couch. I could just grab the tablet. It's bigger than my phone. Or if I, if I'm traveling and I don't want to carry my laptop onto the plane, maybe I want to put it in my suitcase and my carry on, but still have some, like when I go to Spain, it's going to be like a five, six, seven hour flight. I'd like to have that as something that I can use to read with instead of having to open my laptop or open my phone. My phone's too right. small. Laptop's too much of a pain to carry around like that on a plane. So I assume um, you so looked at, I assume you looked at the Amazon fires. I do right. actually have an Amazon fire. Oh. Um, I'm just, it's just not, I don't know. I want something that's like my phone in terms of the operating system and the apps oh, okay. and all that good stuff. And the fire is just not the same. No. That could be something I settle on if I don't buy anything. Cause right now I'm not impressed with anything that's out there. Um, so I could end up just taking the fire with me uh, and just using that. So I uh, walked away from AT&T, didn't buy anything. Um, let's see. So my weight loss contest is going pretty well. Last couple of weeks have kind of been um, a, a straight line in terms of the weight loss, but um, I have lost some inches and now my summer clothes from last summer do not really fit me, which is a good feeling by the way. So I did have to go to a, we have a, have you ever heard of this, the, this department store? It's, is it Boscov, something like that? No, we don't have those around here. I have never heard of that. <laughs> 
I had never heard of it. And then they bought out, we had a Sears that shut down a couple of years ago. They bought out at the end of a mall, they bought out the Sears and like five or six stores on each side and built this gigantic department store. And they have a really good selection of clothes. So I, I went there yesterday and bought some clothes, um, needed to do that. Uh, came home, it's uh, 65 degrees yesterday, probably the warmest day uh, of 2022 so far. Um, so I went out into my golf simulator. I hung a shelf up now and I got rid. I opened up some space in the ground because again, it's small in there. I had a cart that I would put my, it's like a mobile laptop cart that I would put my laptop on. I have a TV hanging in there and I would just connect it to the TV. Uh, but I hung a shelf up out of some, out of some uh, plywood. And now I just put the, the laptop on the shelf, got rid of the cart. So I have more room in there to hit, which is good. And I was in there for about two hours, two and a half hours, just hitting golf balls, hitting nine irons for a while. Uh, just practicing and playing some fake holes. And I, it's, I love it. It's so much fun in there. It's going to be where I spend most of my summers. So, so is, is the TV in front of you so that you could see the shot as it comes off the club or is it, uh, you have to watch it kind of in replay? No. So the way that, so I bought, bought what's called a sky track. So the old simulator that I had is something that you swung across your, and there were sensors in it as your club entered the area where the ball was hit the ball and then came out of the area. It would, it would look at the speed and the angle of the club and it would calculate based on that. And it was instantaneous. Your, your club would swing across and the ball would go on the TV. The TV is actually, um, if I'm, if I'm standing up to, to hold my club and the fairways out to my left, the TV's right in front of me. So I just look up and I can see the TV, okay. but, but I bought a sky track and a sky track has a, 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 God, it's like a three, four second delay. So you swing your club, you hit the ball into the impact screen, and then you look up and you have to wait a good four or five seconds. A lot of people don't like that about the sky track. I actually don't care. Um, so it actually enables me to like pick up my ball, go get the tee if I had a tee and then look up. And now, you know, I've kind of like regrouped and I can look up at the screen and see the shot. Right. The one thing I haven't done yet is put a projector in there where you can project the image to your impact screen. And now right. when you look up, you know, you're, you're standing over your ball, you look over to your left, like you would in a regular golf course, you're, you're looking at the screen where it looks like you're looking down the fairway. Um, I haven't done that yet. It's expensive and there's really no reason to with me having that TV in there. So um, do you find, do you find the simulator helps you in being able to diagnose problems or is it just more of a getting some holes in when you can't actually get on a course? Well, it does give a lot of the measurements in terms of like, you know, the, the degrees left or right you swung the club was your face open or closed. What I'm not good enough to be able to look at that and go, oh, I just need to turn my hands a little bit. I need somebody instructing me. You know, I'm still not a very good golfer yet in terms of, of, of that kind of thing. So, um, but it's fun because it just gives me something to do. I really like doing it. So now in the winter, in, in the spring and fall, if I can't get out, if it's raining, I've, I had days last summer where it was raining. So I just, we couldn't golf on the course. So I just went into my simulator for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, I think it does help also in terms of being able to practice. I hit, I hit, there was the court, one of the courses I played yesterday was a, a, par three every hole was 100 yards and that and, and i have auto putting on because i'm not putting and i can't putt in a simulator it's not the same it's not real so you just let it auto putt so if you're within like six feet it'll give you a one putt by default if you're outside of that it'll just guess one putt two putt or three putt and mm -hmm. and, and do it so that means every tee shot was 100 yards so i got my nine iron out and i hit i believe i hit 10 consecutive greens where i hit the green it gave me a two putt and i got a three on the hole and i oh, okay. was really confident with the nine iron after i was done because i was like oh i just hit 18 holes and on 15 of them i hit the green so 
I think it does help in terms of the practice, which yeah, that's really what I'm looking for. So, well, certainly in terms of you know what your club distance is. Yeah, right, ball. right. And I think that's pretty been pretty accurate so far, uh, at least with the higher clubs. The I don't hit the woods out there. I don't hit my driver out there because I just I'm not comfortable swinging that driver in such a small area. And I can do it, and I can do it without hitting anything. But I just have I. Last year, I think I swung my three hybrid and I banged it off my clubs, which were too close to me and I broke the head off of it. So oh. I'm just not really using those yet. And it was expensive to get fixed. And I'm really not using those, but I, I am practicing the irons in there and, and, and the wedges and, and do, having, you know, having fun with them. So, uh, let's see, I was doing, going to do some plotting last night during the evening, but a few things came up and I just wasn't able to get to it. So that is going to be something that going forward, I just pick and choose my nights when I can go ahead and try to plot another chapter. But at some point, you know, I've got 12 plotted. I'm going to have to plot because I'm on chapter seven now, starting chapter eight tomorrow. I'm going to reach chapter 12 in the next few weeks. So I'm going to have to do some plotting and, you know, coming up or I just won't be able to continue. I'm not ready to be a pantser yet. I'm just, and I don't know if I ever will be. Well, I'm not um, sure it's a good thing to be really. No, I yeah, think, I can't. I think, yeah. you know, if, if you can plot, you know, more power to you because it gives you, like you said, it gives you a direction to go. Uh, yeah, and, and I like that direction. I don't like just guessing because I'm afraid I'll write myself into a corner and not have not be able to get out. So I, I, that happened when I was writing book two. I didn't plot it as much as I thought, and I just wrote myself into corners, and I had to go back and finally just plot it. So I just might as well do it from the beginning. Uh, this morning, I was supposed to go to Top Golf this morning, which is in, on the west side of Cleveland with some buddies I used to work with at my old job. And, you know, we didn't have a reservation, but one of the guys said, hey, I'll go down and put our names on. And if a bay opens up, we can go ahead and get in there. And he was going to do that around 10. We'd probably try to golf around noon. Just hit. I don't know if you've ever seen a Top Golf or. or yeah, we have a top of, OK, I love them. Um and I, so what I did is I drove up to the Panera that's across the street. It's about 45 minutes away. I drove up to the Panera that's across the street and told him, I'll be here. If we get a spot open, let me know. I'll be here writing otherwise. Uh, and I'll just drive across the street and we can play. There were going to be four of us. Um, so about 1045, he sent a text that said, yeah, Top Golf doesn't have any power. So no golf tonight. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up writing for about an hour and a half, which worked out well. I was able to finish chapter seven now, the, the actual uh, right into the light chapter seven is done. I'm ready to move on to chapter eight. Um, the other thing that I did this morning was, I, you know, again, one of the issues with Atticus is you can, you can get your word count by chapter, by selection, or by entire book. But when you go to choose selections, I had two scenes in the same chapter, but in my story grid, I'm actually doing it by scene. I needed to like highlight selections to get word, to get word counts of specific scenes. And it's a pain. Um, I don't always trust that the numbers are correct. So what I did was I split up my Atticus so that I have a 1A and a 1B, two different chapters. They're, they're in two different sections. So you just look at the chapter word count now and you can get it. So I spent some time doing that. Um, came home, uh, grocery shop. Um, uh, what else did I do? Oh, I had to fix my mailbox. My, my mailbox broke about two weeks ago. The, the piece of wood, I used to have a railing on my front porch. Can't remember why we took the railing off of there and the city hasn't yelled at me for it yet. So when I, when I was getting a new mailbox, I just stuck it on top of the railing on the, on the left side of the steps. And, and apparently it rotted at the bottom over time. It's been like that for probably seven or eight years. And it, so the mailman, a couple of Fridays ago, just grabbed a hold of the door to open it and just pulled the whole thing over. <laughs> yeah. So I had kind of been leaving it out there on the same stick, leaning up against my house. Every morning I would go out and open the door so he could just slide the mail in and, and easily close the door. Uh, this morning I, or this afternoon, I took it off the old post and put it on the other post, which is still standing freely. So we'll see how long that one lasts, but at some point I'm going to have to do something there. Yeah. So I did that today and then now we're doing this and I have all kinds of plans for later and this week. 
Um, it's going to be interesting. R real quick, I want to talk about this Atticus Bugs I talked about. I don't know if you're thinking about going to it at some point, but I, like I said, I, I've said a, a bunch of times, I like what Dave Chesson does. I'm a big fan of his. I like the way he treats computer programs and his customers where free upgrades for life. I've had um, what's the, what's the program called publisher rocket now for like four years. And I've always gotten the upgrades and I love that he does that. I'm also a computer programmer. So I kind of understand what he's going through as someone who's doing development. Um, he bought a development team from another company and that became his development team is how he did that. Um, I would love to get a job with him too. I, it would be kind of fun to work with him, but, um, yeah. So right now there are a couple different problems. Number one, it just crashes on me random and you can see it when it's getting ready to happen because it starts to get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You type something and it doesn't happen for a few seconds. So you have to sit back and wait for the letters to pop up. It, it gets a little jumpy there. And then you can, if you just hold on a minute, if you type too many letters at one time, it just, it's going to crash. And when you refresh the screen, it saves just about everything. You, you might lose a word or two because I think what's happening is when you press a keystroke and a letter and a word, every time you press the keystroke, something happens in the background. There's code that's trying to run. And I think if you do it too fast, too much, it just overloads it and it crashes on me. Um, that's kind doing, of annoying. Is it doing like a real time save or what? It is. Although I don't okay. think it's saving every letter, but if you, as you're typing, if you watch, you'll just see if the upper right hand corner, the word saving pop up and flash over and over and okay. over. It's like yeah, word that... does the same thing. Um, I wish I could go in and turn that saving off. Cause I think that would fix it. Um, but I'm not sure. Uh, the other problem, and this is one that's just a pain is if you have a 5,000 word chapter, as if you have a 1000, it doesn't for the number of words you have doesn't matter. But if you have a chapter where the words are longer than the page you're on, where you have to scroll, if your cursor is at the top, then you scroll all the way to the bottom because you want to make a change somewhere. The minute you click, it automatically scrolls back to the top where your cursor was. Ooh, that is a, that is a programming error. I right. know it for a fact. Um, it just started happening recently. It wasn't like that a couple of weeks ago. And now that I think about that, as I was typing this in the outline earlier today, I thought to myself, you know, I got rid of Grammarly a couple of weeks ago because Grammarly does not work with um, Atticus. And in, at, in Vegas last year, he said Grammarly is kind of a pain to deal with, but they do have something going with Pro Writing Aid. So I downloaded Pro Writing Aid and I stuck that extension in. It doesn't work yet. So that's the thing. They have it going, but it doesn't work yet. I talked to their support people and they had written back to me and said, well, Pro Writing Aid doesn't work yet. We're still working on it, but your, your in-browser spell check should work. Well, it turns out my in-browser spell check was not turned on. So oh. I went in and turned it on. And it feels like right about the time that I did that, both of these things started happening. So it's possible that it's actually Chrome that's causing the problem and not Atticus. So my plan right. this week is to go back in, disable it and see if it continues happening. The problem is, is my spelling when I type is awful. I, I, I leave words out, I misspell words. Um, and that spell check is like huge for me and not having anything is gonna be a problem. So yeah, see, um, I've, I, I've long time ago this is when back when i was still working i turned real-time spell check off because it was it was a hang-up for me to you know constantly see these underlined words and it wasn't because i didn't know how to spell the word it's just because i don't type all that well uh me too so so now i use pro writing aid instead of grammarly and it's, it makes a lot more sense for me to just go ahead and type the thing get it all done and then check it through pro writing aid and let them, you know, do you just copy, do you like copy and paste it and move it to, no. to a website or is it inside whatever you're typing in? Well, what you do is you go, you actually go into, and this will probably be the way that it works with Atticus. You actually go into open uh, pro writing aid. It's, it's an app on, on your desk, uh, which links to their servers outside, I'm sure. And then from inside the app, you open up whatever, in my case, Scrivener file you want to spell check. 
and the only downside of it at the moment is that you have to spell check chapter by chapter. It won't allow you to do it across an entire book, which, you know, from a resources perspective, I can see why they did that. Um, but yeah, so you, you so you open it up from inside Pro Writing Aid, you make the changes, you save them. Pro Writing Aid saves them back out to the Scrivener file. Really? And, yeah, and then you're all set. I didn't know it worked that I do have Scrivener. I just quit using it when I started Unaticus. I didn't know it worked like that with, with, oh, that's really interesting. I have to look into that a little bit. Um, I know that he probably wants to do the same kind of, like you said, probably the same kind of thing in Atticus once it's ready to go. Right, right. And you can, you know, it really has to be that way because, you know, pro writing aid not only does, you know, just basic grammar, but, you know, does style, it does, you know, echo repeat words. It does, you know, anything you can think of in terms of writing. Even There's even a plagiarism checker in there that's kind of an add-on. Um, which is, I, I ran it a few times, just, and I'm not sure exactly how helpful that would be because it's, it's, you know, uh, flagging things as plagiarism, which are just common phrases that people use every day. (laughs) Yeah. Grammarly, Grammarly had the same thing and I would do the same thing. I paid for it. I would go in and it would be like the cat did this. Oh, that found that ended up in a book 25 years ago. It's like, well, that's because cats do that. That's why it did that. So, right. yeah. Yeah. So that was my um, that was my week. I'm gonna try to do that this week with the the attic, uh, the Chrome and the the spell checker and see if it makes a difference. I don't. I need a, a spell checker though, so I'm gonna have to work that out. I don't know what I'm gonna do yet, but I'm gonna have to work that out. Right. Well, kind of as a segue into into my week, I will stick on the same topic. I've never really, at least up till now, have had any reason to go to think about moving to Atticus. I I don't work anymore in a PC environment, uh, so I'm I mean I'm perfectly happy with Scrivener and you know and the things that i'm using but this week i realized maybe for the first time that i actually consciously realized that i have a real hang-up in editing i don't like editing and there's a one particular reason i don't like editing it's because you could work all day and have no net word gain even though you're yeah you're writing a lot you're doing a lot of changing you, you've actually typed a lot of new words but as far as uh, Scrivener is concerned, no, you haven't. You know, you've deleted just as many as you've, as you've written. And I don't know, I I don't know what I think about. Well, I know what I think about. It. I don't like it. I'd like to yeah. see some kind of. I like to see some kind of feedback that I've actually been working, other than just the hours I've been sitting there at my desk. Um, so what I'm thinking about doing is this week going back and rechecking out Noveler again. I haven't oh, been in no- yeah. Noveler for probably two years at least. And I, the one thing I do remember about Noveler is that it would keep track of your new words typed. And that way you would get the feedback that yes, you know, you are, you, you did 2000 words today. It didn't show up in terms of changing your document size, but you know, you, you can get that pat on the back that you were a good boy. You know, <laughs> that, that's where I started, by the way, I started in Noveler. I remember that. Um, I remember and that. it had a bug in it that drove me insane, insane enough to stop using it. I don't remember what it is though. It had to do with the same kind of thing. You would be typing it would crash on you. I, I don't remember what it was. If, if, if you do go back, I don't know if you can get like a free trial. Let me know how it works for you. I'll be really curious to hear it. Well, I think I bought a lifetime subscription. Oh, did you? Okay. If, if I recall when they first started off. So I'm going to go back in there and check it. I know they've gone through maybe a dozen revisions since I first signed up because I, I still get emails from them and stuff. Mm. So I'm going to go back and check that, check that out. And then I'll, I'll report on it next week. Uh, what it's like uh so my week uh last week after we got done podcasting i I said i was going to go ahead and write which of course i did not instead we had talked so much about knives out the movie and how good it was that i decided i'm going to go ahead and sit down and write watch it again because it's probably been all of two months since i had seen it um and one of the things that that 
struck me this time about the movie Knives Out was how good of an example it is on ways to inject subtle humor into what otherwise is a really serious story. Uh, and in thinking even more about that, you know, in fact, just the character of Benoit Blanc himself, you know, his facial expressions and the way in which he says things are just humorous. And what struck me as I thought more and more about that is a lot of what you can do successfully in a movie, such as the use of humor, uh, the use of sub of subtext and things like that, have nothing to do with the writing itself. It's all about the way in which the actor uh, expresses what was written on the page in his script, live on the screen, uh, in terms of, again, like their facial expressions, their vocal intonations, um, their gestures, all those kinds of things, which then further got me to thinking, I wonder how good it really is for writers to be looking at movies and thinking about movies in terms of storytelling and, and affecting the way in which we tell stories. Because the, the, the structure of what we do is so much different than what they do in movies. The basic stories are the same, but you know, there's not very many stories out there. And they're, you know, they're just repeated over and over again with slightly different contexts, slightly different ways of, which, of expressing things. So I, I've never been the one to uh, really study movies. I, I watch them for entertainment more than anything else. But I know there are a lot of people out there that really advocate that writers should study movies to see. So, it. so funny that you should say that. Wait till you hear what I have to say later. Then. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, and I, rem I remember explicitly that I used to listen to the Johnny, Sean and Dave podcast um, and especially Sean was really big on, on movies. Movies were the way in which a writer can fast forward his learning of how to tell stories by watching movies. And I'm just not, not convinced at this, at this point that that's, that that's true, especially with a movie like Knives Out, Knives Out where you had all this top flight talent, you know, Daniel Craig, who, you know, I, I'm telling you, his work in James Bond uh, really undersold his talent. After you know watching Knives Out, he's really a, a really good comedic talent, but a lot of the stuff he's done is, hasn't been like that. The Don Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis—I've never seen anybody do a more scornful, disdainful look than Jamie Lee Curtis in that movie. I mean, she's perfect. She's a she's one of the few actresses who who have really embraced their age and gone with it, and you know is is just so emotive in what she does, and. But, and, and, and as I'm talking about this, and as I'm thinking about this, it's all comes back, it's the way people look. And we can describe some of that in our writing, but it's, it's difficult to get all the visual clues that you get while you're watching people. Right. So anyways, I wasted a night, not only watch, well, I don't know if I wasted, but I watched the movie that night and ate a whole ball of popcorn and you know thought nice. about, about nice. that stuff. <laughs> uh, Monday morning, again, I blew off the gym uh, because I had to wait for the air conditioning repair, not repairman, maintenance man to get here to do the biannual check of the system, make sure everything was working. Then I just kind of went to the bathroom that we're remodeling and did some more drywall and mudding, trying to keep that project moving around. I did right in the evening, uh, restructuring some scenes in chapter one to more closely match the setup in that Udemy course that we've been talking about on oh. how to write a whodunit mystery, just to make sure I got some of the, the critical things in there. They, they were in there. Uh, but they already, but they weren't probably as explicit as I needed them to be to make sure that readers were picking up on, on some of the clues that I wanted them to pick up on. Um, 
And this is where my week started to go downhill because at the end of all that work on that evening, I had a net change of that book of 237 words. Uh, I didn't think too much about it at the time. You know, sometimes that happens. You have days where you're just, you know, cutting and pasting and not doing a whole lot. Uh, Tuesday was Mardi Gras so my the gym was closed. Um, so instead I went out to the local donut shop and ate a whole bunch of donuts uh, and then brought a whole bunch of donuts home and continued to eat them until it made me sick. <laughs> so <laughs> jealous. I'm so jealous of that. Uh, went, went to pick up some tile for the bathroom floor. Uh, then later on, continued restructuring some of the book one uh, chapter. I think it was into chapter two on Tuesday. Uh, gave up, gave that up relatively quickly, probably spent an hour or two on it. And I did some reading. Uh, there was a, a good article, in fact, a two part article by uh, Kristen Catherine Rush on her website, Chris Writes, about how, about why you would not want to go exclusive. Uh, it was not necessarily in the context of Amazon exclusive, but she did mention, you know, the Kindle Unlimited in there. And, you know, basically the argument is, is that, yes, you could go to Kindle Unlimited to build an audience. That's what people make the argument for, is you, you go into Kindle Unlimited, you got this whole group of people there who are paying a monthly subscription. They have unlimited choice on how many books they read. Uh, you have a much better chance of being picked up and building an audience there. She said the problem is that that audience does not transfer anywhere else. Those aren't buyers. Those aren't people that are that will eventually migrate out to Kobo or Amazon or Am the Amazon store or any place else. So you're trapped in that world if you build an audience there. Conversely, if you spend the time to build an audience outside of it, then you've got something that you can fall back on that you're not trapped within one ecosystem. Uh, and you could then later, after you've got a number of books on your belt, 10 or 12 or whatever. Uh, and have a good backlist to start working on, then you could go into Kindle Unlimited and build what's essentially an audience in a new market. Uh, so that that's one way to look at it. I guess that's probably what's always struck me weird about uh, the, the Kindle Unlimited program is probably that sense that, you know, once you're in it, you're kind of trapped in it and you're, you don't really have any way out unless you want to pretend that you're a new author and start all over which is essentially what people do when they come out of Kindle Unlimited, which is why they go right back in because they find out how, how hard it really is to build a new audience, depending on what platform you're in. Um, I also had a momentary heart attack on, on Tuesday when Craig Martell posted his little five minute uh, video thing that he does every day and basically said that Facebook was no longer gonna let anybody use interest targeting. And that you had to have a backlist, not backlist, you had to have a newsletter and a subscriber list to use in order to build any kind of targeting at all on Facebook. And number one, I had initially had, had, had a, oh, what? What the heck is that? <laughs> and then, then secondarily, I said, no, that can't possibly be true. So I went in there and no, it's not true. And he, he later admitted that he had missed misinterpreted some they'd change their interfaces as facebook advertising does all the time yeah and they, yes, they, they basically do. they basically more or less buried the interest targeting you have to be careful how you're looking at the screen in order to realize that's still there <laughs> so that was a little bit um 
that was a little bit disheartening at first and then realized that no, it's not really changed. They have changed some of the categories and gotten rid of some categories, uh, supposedly because there was a lot of, from their back end, they could see there was a lot of overlap in, in the way in which they were, they were making categories. So they went and fixed some of that. Um, and then total new words for that day. Now, granted, I only worked for an hour or two on it was four. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so, so now I'm starting to get concerned. I'm getting a little bit down about this. But, you know, I figured, well, you know, sometimes you, you have good days. Sometimes. Do you no. feel like you're not making progress even though you are? I feel like I'm not making progress. Yeah, because the editing itself and even if, though you're moving slowly through chapters and making the writing better and tighter, putting in more setting and the emotional uh, aspects of the characters, it still doesn't feel like as much progress as when I sit down and write something fresh. I'm with you, by the way. I, you know, a, a lot of my days during the week, especially when I'm doing my hour lunch, because I only have an hour there, is that editing. And I'll, I'll say, oh, I added 216 words today. And I'll be like, I'm the same as you. I'll be like, that's all. It doesn't seem like I did much. But really, for, in my head, I know that I'm making the chapter better. So I'm okay with it. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and part, and part of it is probably the disconnect between the way I write first drafts in longhand and the way in which I edit, which is digitally. So there's a, it's a different experience completely. And if I, when I go into editing, I'm going to need to find a way to uh, shift my brain over into the thinking that, okay, this is a different environment that I'm in. Things aren't going to be exactly as they are when I'm creating. This really isn't, in fact, a creative process. In fact, Dean Wesley Smith and other people talk about this a lot, that when you edit, you're using your critical voice. You're not actually creating. You are just massaging what has already been created, trying to maybe make it a little bit better on the margins. So I, I'm, I'm just going to have to work on that, you know, emotionally on myself, by myself. But uh, by Wednesday of that week, I had not done that yet. Uh, <laughs> I did get up and I wrote in the morning until about 11 o'clock. Uh, the gym was finally open, went to the gym for an upper body workout. Uh, which felt really good after being off for a few days. Uh, I'm one of these guys, people who have, uh, I've always been a gym rat. I may have mentioned that last week. And if I don't get those endorphins from exercising, I start feeling really bad, uh, which means I felt, I've been feeling really bad for almost two years because I've been out <laughs> of the gym <laughs> right? with, with COVID. Um, I had to do a supplemental grocery run, which seems to happen you know, every now and then. Uh, didn't really... Um, I guess I did go back to writing a little bit, did some rearranging uh, around 5 p.m. But that, by the end of the day, there was only 173 new, new words total on the manuscript. So now I'm now I'm really down, discouraged, and depressed. I was so down and discouraged and depressed that I got up Thursday morning and said, you know, I'm over this writing. I don't know how to do it. I might as well quit. Uh, so I just didn't do anything <laughs> on that day. I just I just putzed around. I read. I you know I. I, I Puttered around in the, in the bathroom a little bit and didn't do a whole lot of things. Um, Friday, I woke up with with new determination, which often happens after I get these little depressive bouts of, about my writing. Is I'm going to do something to knock me out of this funk. So I switched up my schedule. Uh, so instead of going to the gym first, now this is, it may seem like a small switch, but for me it's kind of big. Instead of going to the gym first and getting my endorphin push, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just caffeinate myself at the coffee shop and write first thing, and then burn off the caffeine by going to the gym. So I can do it kind of in the opposite direction. And that actually worked really well. I started around 8 o'clock. Uh, I think I probably left the coffee shop about 10.30 or so, quarter to 11. 
And in that time, I was writing freehand. I wrote 1,500, a little over 1,500 words in a new scene. And how now, did that feel? Oh, it felt fantastic. Yeah. So I was using a new ink, a new pen, not a new notebook, but it, but it was a new scene, which is one of the things that made it enjoyable because it was truly creative. It wasn't just editing and changing words around in the way in which things flowed. Uh, same thing on Saturday. I did, did the exact same kind of, of schedule. And again, 1,712 words. Wow. So in in another, another new scene. So, you know, I really, really, you know, I think I'm going to try keeping the schedule by doing the caffeine and the coffee and the writing first. It also makes it feel like you've accomplished your day's work. You know, if you get that done out of the way first, you don't have it hanging over your head. And then on Saturday, the rest of the day, I spent huffing paint fumes in the bathroom as I was like I was a teenager or something with a spray can. Uh, and then today, you know, typical on Sunday, you, we've got church. We're, at, we're finally back into meeting in, purpose, in, in person. So we uh, go out and then come back and watch the, uh, the Anglican service where my son attends out in California. And then we're doing the podcast. And I think after we're done here, I'm going to just go and hit another movie because I kind of enjoyed all that popcorn last sat Sunday. <laughs> so that was my week. Wow. I'm glad you got past the funk. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that even writing two new, the problem is you still have to go in and edit those scenes. So hopefully exactly. it doesn't put you back into it. Exactly. So I still yeah. have the problem of how I'm, I'm going to knock my brain into realizing that, yes, you are making progress. Uh, I may, you know, one thing I thought about is I may have to uh, keep track of progress by percentage through the book in terms of editing. You know, how, how far have I progressed? Sure. Mm -hmm. And then that would be one way of doing it. Um, I, and I'm also not one of these guys. I don't know how fast you edit, but you know, I have some Facebook friends like uh, Carolyn Dean, for example, mm -hmm. who will who will edit an entire novel in the span of a couple days. That doesn't mm -hmm. seem to work for me. Mm -hmm. No, I I, I I don't know if I'm agonizing too much over over word choice or the way in which I'm presenting things, but this uh this book which started off at like 41 or 42,000 words in the in rough draft uh it's probably going to take me the better part of by the time i'm done hopefully to be done at the end of this month better part of five weeks yeah. to uh to edit and that I, just seems to be my schedule i think the difference with me is i love editing that first edit is like my favorite thing to do i like doing that more than i do the first draft because i love doing this seeding where i'm going back and planting little things it just makes me happy to know right. that I'm putting this in here in chapter five and the reader doesn't know what it is, but I know what it is. And then right. in chapter 11, that's when they find it out. That's, I love that. That's it's my favorite thing is that that first edit. Yeah. 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 I have to get to that point. I'll work. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All so, right. Uh, do you have any goals, anything with your 2022 goals? No, no. Everything's still pretty much the same. Not, I've not added anything and nothing's come off of it yet. Um, uh, still making progress on reading, which is, I'm really happy about, uh, that's, that's really, you know, kind of a hard thing to do because, you know, you get to the end of a day, we usually eat dinner fairly late around seven o'clock. So it's probably about eight o'clock before I'm the, the day is quote unquote officially over. And it's so tempting just to sit down and turn the TV on mm -hmm. instead of reading. I'm um, so jealous of that because Lindsay was doing the same thing where she was going to try to read 50 books in a year because she had done it previous and you're doing it. How, I mean, you read two books last week that's i wish i could do that i wish i would i wasn't so lazy that i wouldn't take the time to do it the trick is to uh 
not pick huge volumes. <laughs> really. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah you pick, pick, pick moderate size books, or if you do pick a, a huge one, then just realize you're not going to make as much progress right. in that particular week, yeah. which is why I've also gone back to, uh, or gone to tracking the number of pages read. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I think for me, my, my 2020 goal to 2022 goals didn't really have much of a change. I did put on there that I officially requested my refund of 20 books in Vegas because one of my goals originally was Spain in June, Vegas in November, and that's not going to happen. So far, the only two real goals that I've finished are the two that I'm not doing. So I, I recommend people, if, if you have a whole bunch of goals and you're worried that you're not going to get them finished, just don't do them. And then you can mark the goal done, kind of, I guess. So. But this is, a, this is a variation of what I used to do uh, you know, my wife is, is a big list maker and a big organizer. She loves to organize. And I've just, I've, I'm uh, kind of constitutionally uh, have avoided lists in my life. And I'm very disorganized. I always have been, which is amazing that I've actually made it academics as a career. Because you really need to be organized in order to, to make it through there, that, that mill. But um, one of the things I used to do, which used to drive my wife crazy, is when I would try this idea that, okay, I'm going to be organized. I'm going to, I'm going to go to it. I'm going to make to-do lists. I'm going to check things off and stuff. I would make these lists and the list would sit there on the table. I would check a few things off. And then one day I would look at the list and I would just crumple it up and throw it away because I didn't want to deal with it. <laughs> so, so you're, you're, uh, you know, I like your idea of just, you know, taking things off the list. Yeah, exactly. I love, I love, but I'm a list maker. Like throughout the week, I have a, a notes app on my phone and throughout the week, I just put things on there that I think of. And then on the weekend, I either delete them or do them or just let them sit until I actually do them. And uh, because I have a terrible memory. So I'm always, I always have, I have, I have post-it notes right now on my desk of stuff. I have a list in my phone. You know, I have this list on the podcast outline. It's just, I always have lists going because I'll forget. I'm terrible. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be good for you. I mean, it was at David Allen, David Allen, right. Who, uh, the idea that you should uh, every day at the end of the day dump everything out of your brain onto a list someplace so that you don't have to keep it in your brain and mm -hmm. because it opens up your your mental uh, capabilities for cognitive thinking and you don't have to keep track of all this minutiae that's going on right and yeah i think i would just mentally forget about it and then not, but not put it on a list and the next day i thought what was i going to do yesterday so that's why i've just started writing stuff down it's easier for me um okay let me jump all the way to my news here i have a couple things to talk about um Number one, Amazon ads. Amazon ads have become this weird thing for me lately. Um, I looked a little while ago and I'm now up to 14 clicks out of 2,400 um, impressions. That's one every 174. That's really, really good. That's way better than I ever expected. Um, I have some ads. My one, my time one of my time travel keywords ads has six clicks and 337 views. It's really good. That's one every, that's one every 56. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah, that is. The problem is, is no clicks, no sales, except for the fact that 10 of the 11 of the last 13 is I have page reads. So I am attributing those to this, even though it's not showing up in, in Amazon's dashboard, but I need something to show on Amazon's dashboard. I need to be sure that this is actually working. So uh, my plan now is to go ahead and get my first cover redone. Um, the book that I'm advertising, get that cover redone. Um, I am going to contact Stuart Bache's team again, and I have their, you know, I've been, they've done all my other covers, except I have six book covers, I believe finished one. Oh, actually that's not true. I guess I have a few more than that, but my, my, of my novels, only my first book, uh, doesn't have a Stuart Bache cover on it. And it's the one that if you look at it and when I say boring, I don't mean it in a negative way. 
it was just made with a lot of gray in it. Whereas my book two is so much red and orange. My book three is, is a little bit darker, but it's colorful. This one's not colorful. Right. Um, I remember, I remember that first cover of yours. And I remember thinking at the time, it didn't strike me that it was too great, but the, the way the design was, it made me think at the time that this is very much looks like a time travel book. Um, whereas wow, newer, really? Yeah, the newer covers, now this is just me, and I'm, I am notoriously out of sync with everything Stuart Bache thinks, because yeah, me and him have gone back and forth on stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, the newer covers almost feel a little bit more thriller-ish to me which makes sense by the way because even though it is time travel and dystopian it's it's i try to do almost non-stop action i have a couple okay. i have different points during the book where it has to slow down and let the the reader breathe a little bit so i have talking moments things like that but for the most part it's a lot of action especially that first book that first book has a ton of action in it yeah, um yeah, and that. it's funny because when i worked with the cover artist who did it she, after I gave her the whole synopsis of the book, I sent her, I believe the blurb that Brian Cohen had written for me. She came back and she said, listen, I know you said time travel, but this is a dystopian novel. I'm going to make this a dystopian cover. And I went, okay, you're the cover artist, not me. I trust your opinion. Right. And um, so I, I feel bad because I think it's a really good cover. And this is someone that I see when I go to 20 books events. So mm -hmm. I, I feel kind of bad, but unfortunately she couldn't continue doing covers for me. And that's why I went to Stuart Bache in the first place. So right. um, well, I am going to oh, go ahead. You should feel bad. I mean, because the market changes, markets, mm -hmm. markets move on what they're looking for and cover artists, you know, I, I'm almost certain that once their novels, their covers are out there and sold, they never, they don't track them. You know, yeah, they couldn't, right, right, right. they couldn't. Right. How are they going to do that? Right. Yeah. So I think that I'm now I'm going to try to determine what's the problem. Is it the cover or is it the blurb? Is it both? So my plan is to take the cover, get a new one, try to get it as soon as I possibly can. Now, Stuart Bates' team is always busy. So I'll just try to get it as soon as I possibly can. I'll re-upload it to Amazon and, and, and all the places that I have it. And, uh, and I'll see what happens. I'll give it a month or two. I'll give it maybe 10,000 impressions, maybe some number of impressions to, to compare to what I'm doing now. And if it's still not getting clicks, then I'll go back into the blurb and I'll, I'll scrap everything that I have. The one that I have up there right now is one that Brian Meeks wrote for me. I paid him to write it for me, but I did change the tagline, the very first sentence myself. He had it more romance. I wanted it to be more action. So I changed it myself. Um, and I'll rewrite the blurb from scratch. I'll go to somebody's uh, you know, YouTube video on how to write blurbs, somebody I haven't used yet, and I'll kind of follow their instruction. I'll put a, a and then I'll kind of trust my gut on what I think is going to work here. And, and I'll, I'll rewrite it and see what happens. But over time, I need to figure out how to make these Amazon ads work. The fact that I'm getting clicks now is huge. This is something I never got before. Um, and I think it boils, it, honestly, I think it boils down to that Janet Margot video where she said, don't set your minimum at five, set it at $10. And don't set it so that it can go up or down set it to go minimum 25 cents maximum 25 cents and ever since i did that these clicks are coming in like crazy and um i'm, I'm very excited to try this i'm going to create new ads uh over over the next few weeks maybe when i get the new cover i'll just create a bunch of new ads set them at 20 cents and see what happens so you know which as a user just drives you crazy when you realize that the ultimate success of your ad has nothing at all to do with the ad it has to do with some kind of, of uh, course the algorithm in the algorithm that it's it's going to look for certain kinds of settings and it's not just going to you know put it out there and let the ad survive or not survive based on its own merits you know it's just 
that's, Amazon that's knows that's Amazon knows what settings make the most money. So they're going to show those books because they're going to make exactly the most right. money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I Speaking of um, ads, you had mentioned this last week about maybe doing a Facebook ad for the podcast itself. I think I'm going to run one of those, maybe do like a week on Facebook, maybe do like five bucks a day or something silly like that and see if we can get, uh, see if the listener count can go up. I'm really interested in, in trying that. And you mentioned that, that Craig had said about the the interests not working or, and then you said they were kind of buried. It's going to be interesting. I haven't created a new Facebook ad in a while. So I'm, uh, I'm going to look they, into that. They weren't really buried because when I went in there and I said, okay, I'm going to look for it to see where it's at. It, it was obvious. It was there. It's okay, just that, good. yeah, I, I think what they've done maybe in the way in which they presented stuff is they've slightly de-emphasized the use of interest targeting and brought up to the top, the use of lookalike audiences and custom audiences. And that's probably what threw them. The next thing that I want to do, and this is so tiny, little, dumb, little thing is I need to change up my email and how I get my, my author email, because right now I have it set up on my, I'm going to say my tower, really it's a laptop, but it's, it's always there. It's hooked up as basically like my tower and that's where I get it. And at night, if I could get it on my, my, um, Chromebook, I would then reply to more emails. I mean, you sent me an email, I think on Tuesday and I didn't respond until this morning. Mm-hmm. Most of it's because I'm just too lazy to walk over to my tower at nine 30 at night when an email comes in and reply to it. So the other problem is, is that it used to be on my old tower that I had had for a bunch of years. And I replaced it with the lap, this laptop about uh, sometime last summer. And those emails did not carry over to my new email. So I have to go plug the tower in and, and get in there. And I, I, what I want to do is I want to email my editor and make sure she knows I still exist. And I want to email Stuart Bash's team. I don't have any of those emails on this laptop oh. that have downloaded from the server onto this local laptop into my outlook that I'm using. So I want to find a new way to do this. I want to keep, I want those emails to always come from the server and always be on the server. And I think they are, um, and download to whatever machine I'm using, because this is not the best way to do it. I'm, I'm a computer guy. I should be able to make that work. Well, I'm so. kind of surprised you don't have a, a, a primary email address that basically collects the emails from all your other email addresses, which is what yeah, I've I never do. done that. Yeah. I've never yeah. done that. Yeah. That's what I, I do mean, you ever you email it. from that or do you just, do you just you can, use it to collect? Uh, well, I, I have a, no, no, I can, e- you can email from the, when, when you set it up, right. You can email as any, uh, persona that you want, mm-hmm. you, you get to choose, which is how sometimes I email from the wrong persona. Like I did one time to you and Lindsay mm-hmm. and you didn't know who I was. That's right. That's uh, right. But yeah, I mean, it's so much easier just to have one primary email and it just kind of collects it from like, say your author email and your, you know, whatever else that you've got going on. on the but, side. but isn't that, st- is that a, is that a web interface or is it like outlook locally on your computer that you're using? Uh, I use, I use Gmail. So it's going to be a okay. Web so it's all from there. Okay. So you can right. set up your but, Gmail to email from your at, you know, richcasey.com. Right. Oh, I had right. no idea of this. Okay. You're right. that. That's fantastic. Okay. I got to yeah. look into this then. Definitely. In fact, in fact, you don't actually have to do anything when you set it up uh, in settings that you wanted to go out and collect emails from these other addresses, it will automatically present you with the ability to change who you, who you email yeah. from. All right. So Google's about to take over even more of my life. It sounds yeah. like what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you can do the same thing in Outlook. I seen back in, you know, when I was working, we used, we were on Outlook 365, I think. The, the- that's what I'm on now. But, but unfortunately I have my, work life email and i have my um well i guess i could probably use my jerry evanoff yeah i probably could use that because i i subscribe to the whole word and everything for like eight bucks a month all the all the office 365 stuff so i guess i could use the outlook through there and then 
Okay. I got to look into this some more. This yeah. is something I might do tomorrow night since it's my writing day off. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. And then from there, I need to email some people and I, I have to, right now I have to go fire up my old tower, which is in my back room. It's set up. It's just not plugged in and open up my outlook on there and reply to them so that when they reply back to me, it shows up on the outlook on the new computer. It's kind of a pain, but up to, so last, last thing I want to talk about real quick is I have started going back to the story grid podcast, but not the new episodes coming out. I don't listen to it anymore. I don't really like the new episodes coming out. And, and it, it, you know, to be fair to them, they could only talk about the story grid so many times before they had to not be repetitive over and over again. So I think they were looking for different ways to, to, um, to mix it up. But I love like the first, I don't know, six or seven years of it. Um, it came out in 2015. I went back earlier this week and listened to the first episode. And since then I've listened to the first eight episodes and I'm really liking, enjoying hearing, you know, Tim Grawl is the host and he brings in Sean Coyne, who was an editor at a big publisher for a long time. And Sean Coyne is the one who created the story grid. And it, you know, it meshed with me really well because it was an Excel spreadsheet, which I do a ton of stuff on. It was a way to track what you were doing. So like I have columns in there for, I think I talked about before, like motive means an opportunity for this particular book that I'm writing. So I can go in there and write, okay, I just gave this character means so that 10 chapters from now I can look back and say, well, who have I given means to so far? And I love this. I don't know how you do that as a mystery writer. If you do anything like that at all, like how do you, do you take notes on what you're writing? I'm pretty, no, I'm, I'm a pantser and I just, and this isn't, I'm not recommending this by sure. any means. Uh, I, I pants my way through it and I just keep it in my head, basically what's Oof, happened. In I the can't past. do that. Yeah. But, but I try to write my first drafts fast. So I'm writing a first draft, like that 41,000 word draft. I wrote that in about three weeks, mm. which was compressed enough for me to be able to keep most of the story in my head. And then when I go back, obviously I find things that I've done goofy where like I've changed the name of somebody. Yeah partway through. And so when I go back and this is the other thing probably that bugs me about editing is it, it becomes a little bit uh, task to task, minute task oriented, where I have as I start reading through to edit, I have to st then start writing down, okay, this is the main character's name, this is how it's spelled, you know, and you got to keep all that stuff consistent as you go forward. Um, one of my questions I was going to have for you with respect to the story grid is really, how long did it take you to to learn to be able to plot using the story grid because it always i've listened to those uh old podcasts actually i listened to them when they were new yeah and uh it always i it, now and then i tried to dip my toes into it but it always struck me as being so much work and it what, is. I, what i wanted it is. to do is write and yeah it's uh, it's a ton of work it is i mean i'll i'll sit there like like i'll go to hothead tuesday and um, I just finished chapter seven. The first thing I'm going to do is I have to put in all the information in the story grid. I have a good 40 columns in there. It's not like I have four or five columns. I have a synopsis. I have the page count. I have the characters on stage and off stage. I have um, foreshadowing or foreshadowing things I answer. I mean, I have so many things in there. Notes I want to keep track of. Um, I have a I have a column called short story alert, meaning, hey, if I want to write a short story about this, this would be a good thing to write a short story about later, just for my own memory. I mean, I have a lot of columns there. And now I'm going to add five more, which is ridiculous. Right. Because in the story grid, listening over the last six or seven days um, of all the, the original, uh, I had forgotten all about the fact that Sean said every scene. Now, I disagree with this, um, but I'm going to do it anyway. And if it doesn't work out, I'm okay with it. But he, according to him, every screen needs to have an 
every scene it needs to have an inciting incident progressive complications crisis climax resolution i want to go back to this mystery book and just see have i done that just subconsciously as i write these have i given every scene this because it seems like so much to put into a scene because at the same time that each scene needs to have that every uh the beginning the middle and the end also has to have that and then the overall book has to have that and it just seems like way too much work to have to think about when I'm writing my book, but the hope is that I'm doing it subconsciously anyway. And if I'm not, and I miss it in a couple scenes here and there, I don't care. It's, it's fine. Yeah. I'll, I'll live with it. I, I'm, I'm guessing that when you go back and you look at it carefully, that you are already doing it because yep. you really, you really can't define a scene without having those three parts in, in it. And the, the thing to remember is that the inciting incident or the incident, the, the conflict, I guess, is what I'm really getting at. The conflict in the scene can be very minute. Yes. It just, that, you know, it yes. could be a, a temporary disagreement between two people, but it's something that where there's a start, a middle build to it, and then an end that then pushes people into wanting, and then basically a cliffhanger. So he's actually leaving a part off because you, at the end of every scene, at the end of every chapter, you need some kind of cliffhanger that pulls people into the next section of writing. And in one of the episodes I listened to today, and yeah, I listened to more than one today while I was driving back and forth to Cleveland, um, the climax of one scene became the inciting incident of the next scene for him okay. and the examples he was giving. Yeah. So I'm, you're absolutely right. But they kind of do overlap a little bit to, to make that, make it work. Cause it's like the hero's journey, right? I love the hero's journey. There's a podcast out there called the hero's journey where they take a movie um, from, you know, going all, I think I, they've gone back as far as like the fifties and sixties, you can take any movie and they apply the hero's journey to it. Well, that author did not apply the hero's journey while they were writing it. So my guess is if I sat down and watched, you know, they watched Thelma and Louise last month. If I sit down and watch it and you sit down and watch it and we heroes journey it, we're going to have a lot of different things because right. really it can be interpreted so many different ways. And I think with his stuff, inciting incident, nah, we know what that is, but like crisis, eh, we probably can get that every time, but that might be a little bit different. But I think most writers are not, like you said, are not doing that. They're doing it because they've read a lot of books. They've watched a lot of movies and you just know what makes a scene work by doing it. Right. Um, and, but I'm going to go back and just track it in my, for this mystery, because it's the first time I've ever written a mystery. I'm going to go back and track it here just to see what happens. Right. Um, so I'm very right. excited to continue listening to that podcast. Right. Well, one, when I, whenever I think, it, I don't know if you remember this a while back, you had emailed your uh, story grid uh, spreadsheet to me mm -hmm. so I could see what you had on it. And I actually, you know, opened up to create one for myself and, and started to fill it in for a story I was writing at the time. And I get to one of the columns like, you know, motivation or whatever for a particular character. And it's kind of reminded me of a, of a dialogue or a response that one of my characters had in a previous story where, uh, there was a person who was on a balcony and fell to their death. And this, this character was asked, well, what was this person doing out there? And her response was getting fresh air, take, having a cigarette. How the hell would I know? <laughs> you know, and that's kind of when I get to these, these, these columns in the story. Grid. I go, well, you know, I don't know. I haven't written it yet. And I'll find out when I write it. <laughs> So I did the story grid for the first book after I wrote the whole thing, the complete draft. So it was actually pretty easy to do, but doing it now as I'm writing, I'm with you. I just want to write. So I may not do it Tuesday night. That might not be the first thing I do. I might just go right into chapter eight. Um, and then there'll be a point where I think what happened in chapter three and I'll realize, oh, I didn't fill in the story grid for chapter three and I'll go do it then. Yeah, um, I could see how it would be really helpful. Essentially, you could work it like a story Bible so that you would always right. know what has happened yep. in the past.
Yep. And it would save a lot of trouble later on. Yeah, and that's really, that's my news. I mean, the Amazon ads thing, that opened my eyes big time when I looked at it today just to fill it in for the for the podcast is I went from 11 clicks to 14 clips clicks in a, in a day. It's like, where did those other three come from over the last 24 hours and why hasn't registered yet that they haven't bought anything? It's really frustrating that I'm yeah. essentially 0 for 14, maybe 1 for 14 at, at best. So, yeah. Um, my news, nothing really happened, you know, in my personal life with news except that I find myself drifting away from Antiques Roadshow as my go-to watch uh, to a new, to a, it's not a new, it's an old BritBox series, I guess was originally probably done by the BBC back in the uh, late 90s called Hamish Macbeth. I don't know if you know the character Hamish Macbeth. I don't. But there was an author, M.C. Beaton, who, a UK author, who wrote this series of uh, mystery slash crime slash cozy mystery novels back in the 1980s, uh, maybe into the 90s, maybe even longer, I can't remember. It, but it's a, it's a pretty extensive series. And it's all about, the main character is a constable in a small Scottish village. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of mysteries and hijinks that ensue. It's not, not really uh, on the humorous level like uh, Murder, She Wrote. It's more like, uh, uh, it's, it's more, I don't know, are you familiar with the, with the series Shetland? No. But, okay. Uh, it's 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 a little more dark. Uh, well, it definitely what it has is it has a little more uh, emotional conflict and a little more in depth uh, human characterization of the characters uh, and all the trials and tribulations that people face in their lives. Is it anything um, like uh, Midsummer Murders? You know, it's been such a long time since I've watched any of that, but I think so. I think it would be more more along that tone, maybe with a little more levity thrown in. Okay. Than Midsummer Murders has. Uh, but anyways, I've been watching that and really enjoying it. Uh, and they've had, I'm trying to remember, I think they had three or four seasons uh, of, of stories, maybe 20 episodes total. So that's something I've been working my way through. Uh, and then we already talked about the Brandon, Sand, Brandon Sanderson thing, which is you know the other thing that popped up on my radar in terms of publishing news this week. So yeah, there's no, nothing more beyond that. Um, let's see, running list of things to do. It looks like you don't have anything new. No. No. I did add something this week. Um, I still, I'm still looking on Fiverr for someone to do a little bit of SEO for me, but that's something I have to research first to understand what they're doing before I just give someone money to do it. Um, I did add the, the, this is based on the story grid, listening to them talking about watching or reading things in your genre to try to pick up the different, you know, he calls them obligatory scenes that happen in every, every story, depending on the genre. So I think that's something I am going to do. Um, later on and it's funny that you mentioned that earlier about you know you weren't sure if it's something that you wanted to do you know watch the movie and then try to get something out of the movie in terms of how to write um it's something i think i'm gonna do i think i had talked about murder she wrote earlier that might be a good one to do it with because i don't know if anybody's ever thought about that with murder she wrote before but trying to pick out the okay it's a murder mystery so you're gonna have all these different scenes that happen in every single episode it's gonna be a little different each time but i'm really curious if that does exist in in a in a show like that um i might even do it with perot a couple times i love hercule perot i love the tv show david Suchet acted that part so brilliantly and i can't wait to go back and watch some of those and i've done that over the years i've watched some anyway yeah he's but, fantastic i have all those on dvd and I, we've yep. watched them over and over again to the point now where my, me my wife and my son we can recite dialogue from oh it wow and just, just crack each other up nice but yeah 
I mean, he, he's, he's ruined that, that series for anybody else who tries to play it. Yep. Yeah. And there was a movie that came out. They did a murder on the Orient Express a couple of years ago. I watched it on my way to England with Lindsay. And um, I thought, you know, it's fine. But I look at that guy that played and it's a, I think it was a famous, famous actor. I don't remember off the top of my head who it was, but um, you look at him. I still go, that's not Perot to me. That's, that's not David's Shea. Right. Um, but uh, I think I may do that with, um, with Perot a little bit. Uh, Perot's on YouTube. They're all on YouTube. There's a Brit TV channel oh. and they're all there for free. Um, and I think I'm, and now that you mentioned Knives Out earlier, I might do that with Knives Out tonight. I think I might watch that tonight after we're done and try to look through it and see if I can find some of those scenes that I would see in Perry Mason and the, the Perot that I've watched. I wonder if they kind of all overlap with those kinds of scenes. So um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to do that a little bit based on just listening to the story grid and speaking of story grid in my addicted, addicted to section, I just have story grid. Cause I listened to eight podcasts in about five days and they're all more than an hour long. So it's, it's easy to do while I'm working. It's I've heard it before. So I can sit there and, and do computer programming and listen to that at the same time. Um, yeah. I, I don't have this in my list, but you're talking about pack podcast made me think about it as I, I dropped into, uh, back into the Tim Ferriss podcast, which I yep. look read or listen to every now and then uh, and he had a really good one on recently maybe even the last episode that i dropped with cal newport and i don't know if you know cal newport he's a um, professor of computer science and something else at uh, georgetown where he was anyways okay uh, and he's written a number of things nonfiction things about how people work and deep work and creative work and how people how the human brain is not wired to do things fast and cursory. The human brain craves getting deep into the weeds on things and really understanding what it's doing and how to do something. And there's nothing more fulfilling to people than, than structuring their work life around this idea that we don't need to be constantly distracted by email. We don't need to be constantly distracted by superficial things. We need to be distracted by the important things that will move things ahead. And you know, you see this in, in corporate life. You know, I saw it in the academics where people, because this deep work is, is at some level hard to do, it's hard to get yourself that focused. People distract themselves with, with uh, all kinds of things that aren't, are superfluous to the job that they're really trying to accomplish. So it was a really good talk they had a couple hours long almost. Uh, so I'd recommend that to anybody who wants to to think more about how, how do they go about their writing? What is it that is really important to them what is it that they're trying to accomplish and it kind of fits in with this i can't remember the author's name but recently within the last year or so there was a, this book co published uh with the title is four thousand weeks and the idea being that for the average human you only have four thousand weeks of life it's oh, wow. your choice it's your choice about how you're going to spend those weeks and how you're going to structure it it's better to think about it even if you've got like me i maybe if i'm lucky have a thousand left Better start thinking about it now. What do you want to be doing with those weeks? And then, you know, plan it out. Even if it's uh, kind of a 50,000, you know, a foot altitude kind of look at your life, plan mm -hmm. it out. And that, that will lead you to working more on what you really want to be working on, as opposed to working on things that are just pop up and you think you have to fight them because they're local fires. I don't know. I can't stick to goals that I just set two months ago. I don't know if I can stick to a well, thousand weeks. And I don't think it's goals so much as not what do you want to accomplish, which is what a goal would be, but what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your day to look like? What do you want the next hour to look like? 
So for me, I, I, this, re this resonated with me a little bit because it gets back to the way in which I write first drafts. I don't want to be typing on a computer. That's not, that doesn't give me any kind of uh, emotional satisfaction. Writing longhand in a book on paper with a fountain pen gives me emotional satisfaction. Why that is, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is. And so which first step is you got to realize what are the things that actually give you emotional satisfaction and then try to structure your life so that you can get more of those into it. I mean, we're all going to have the mundane things that we have to do and we do have to fit in with the rest of the world in a way yeah. in which it's structured. But the idea is to emphasize some of those things that really build you up as, as opposed to turn you down. And then other than that, my addicted to it's still lucky charms, although I have been trying to get away from them because I am trying to lose weight. You're, yeah. you're the inspiration for me on that. Uh, I am, like I said, getting, have been getting back to the gym now that things are opened back up a lot. But, you know, you'd think I'd replace Lucky Charms with something healthy in terms of being addicted to, but no, I've replaced it with fried catfish. Oh, so, nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to have to find something else to binge on. I'm not sure yeah. what it is. I can't, I can't imagine myself binging on oatmeal, but, you know. Well, I will say that I've created a bre breakfast routine every morning that I've done for about a month now, which is a sliced banana, a cup of grapes, and a cup of strawberries. And it's working out really well for me because it's food that I really like and it's not horribly bad for you. So oh, that it's, is, yeah. yeah. It's better than the uh, blueberry checks that I thought was healthy, you know, two months ago. So right, right. Well, with me, I spend so much time lifting weights in the gym. I, I find my breakfast is, although I don't do this enough. If I if I load myself up on protein at breakfast, um, that I can last a lot longer during the day and have less cravings. So I, I'm going to have to focus more on that. I think going forward. All right. Speaking of going forward, let's talk about what we're doing this week. Um, tonight, like I said, I'm probably going to watch something. Um, I, I'm thinking it's going to be Knives Out. I've only ever seen that once. I mean, I watched it at, at my home when it first came to streaming or whatever. Probably, man, I don't even, it had to be May or think, June of 2020, I think, is when I watched uh, it. Yeah, I think it was out in, I want to say 2019, but maybe not. Okay, it's possible. Yeah, because a friend of mine asked me, have you ever seen this? And I said, no. And I remember sitting at my desk back when I used to go to an office every day and she came over and she's like, have you ever seen this? I said, no. And she's like, you have to watch this. It's really good. And she knew I like mysteries. So, um, and I watched it. I did not, I watched every second of it. It was so good. And uh, so I might watch that tonight and maybe take a look at it in terms of uh, from a writer's eye instead of just a viewer and see if I can pick out those scenes that, that happen in every single or every, just about every murder mystery type uh, movie or book or whatever. So, right. Um, let's see. Tomorrow it's my writing day off. Uh, may try to do a little bit of plotting. We'll see. Um, work from, I'm working from home all week, like normal Tuesday night, I'll go to hothead. So weather's supposed to drop today. It's 70 degrees. It's fantastic. And by wow. Tuesday, it's going to be snowy, although not much. I mean, I think it's probably not even going to accumulate, but overnight we might get a few, a little bit, of, a little bit of snow. Um, let's see. I'm going to start working on chapter eight. I think Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I'll do my writing, my, my writing at lunch, uh, Thursday. I do have my writer's club. It's meeting back in person, which for me is just walking across the street, which is nice. Um, and I'll be happy to see everybody in person. Cause I haven't seen them in person since like, uh, boy, I, I believe it'd be uh, October. Cause I wasn't there in November and they went back to virtual for a couple months in December, January, February. So that'll be good. Friday night, back to Hothead, unless something pops up. Saturday, Chick-fil-A, run some errands like normal. Sunday, Panera, run some errands like normal, get groceries and everything. Uh, and that's pretty much it. It's, this is a pretty standard week for me with the exception of the Writers Club being on Thursday night. Um, that's only once a month. 
Uh, book plans this week are to start and finish chapter eight completely, at least get the first, the legit first draft done before I do my writing into the light. But it does look like it's going to be a really big chapter based on what I plotted many, many months ago. Uh, there could be three or four different scenes in this chapter, which means I'm going to be splitting it up like crazy. It could hit five, six, seven thousand words. I don't know if I can do that many words in a week. I can do that many first draft words in a week. I don't know if I can do that many uh, finish it up, get the draft done in a week right. like I have been doing. So that's what my week's looking like. How about yours? Uh, it's going to be, again, pretty standard, except I'm going to go with the inverted morning schedule that I talked about, uh, do the writing and the caffeining first and then head to the gym to hopefully burn off some of the anxiety from the writing and the, the caffeine. Uh, even though I'm not may not be writing any new scenes this week, I'm going to try to keep myself focused on the fact that, yeah, I am making progress, even if I'm editing, even if I'm not adding new words, uh, that because of the, the ultimate goal really is to get this book finished and out the door, uh, hopefully by the end of this month. And then there's going to be more remodeling. I mean, that's going to be an ongoing project probably for, through the rest of the month. Uh, and again, the whole idea there is to make progress at it. Uh, evenings are for reading. Uh, although I think I'm going to sneak in a few episodes of Shetland. Uh, Shetland is, it was, is an ongoing, I think, still uh, TV series out of the UK, which uh, is, uh, at least for the first the ye- half a dozen maybe, episodes and these are long episodes i think they're run to two hours maybe they're like movies almost uh they were written off a series of or uh adapted off a series of books by ann cleaves um and they're really good the the scenery is fantastic in them and watching this hamish Macbeth made me think about them again and it also made me think about how much i missed the north of the united kingdom and scotland in <laughs> yeah i really miss that so and, much and how i'd like to go yeah. back you know as soon as i possibly can <laughs> We need to talk Craig into doing another writer's club there. Yeah, or somebody over there. I mean, there's a yeah. lot of people over there that, uh, that could do something, even if it's something, uh, you know, not as um, not as involved as what Craig did. You really don't have to do anything. I mean, I know at one point, um, what's his name? Oh, I can't remember. He was talking about renting a castle and having a, a writing retreat uh, there. It's a guy that, was that uh, the guy who planned it? Like he was the main point over there? No, 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 that, that's Remy. Remy, yeah, that's Remy. Okay, yeah, that's no, Remy. no, it was somebody else. It was, oh man, yeah, his name will come to me as soon as yep. the podcast's over. But anyways, yeah, a number of people have have, have thought about doing something like that, and I'd I'd be all for that. We need to talk so, Fiona into doing it. I was just gonna say, so Fiona, mm-hmm. if you're listening, uh, you know, get us something lined up, and me and Jerry will be there. Yeah, I'll be there in a heartbeat. I love Scotland. Yeah. A, a long, a long week of writing. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be fun. And that's so we have a. We have a new we have a new section of the podcast uh, that you suggested, so I'll let you introduce it and go ahead and do it. Right. Well, I thought something is something different, and uh, I don't know if this will work going forward or not. But every week, there's usually at least one paragraph or so, or one section that I write that I, I step back after I write and I say, "Man, I really like that." Uh, and I figured if I really like it, why don't I share it? And so I'm, that's what I'd like to start doing. Uh, maybe every week and we'll see we'll see you when i'm editing it's not it doesn't happen quite so often but uh so i'm gonna start this off and i'm give context for it's a it's a relatively short paragraph and the context here is that we're talking about a uh, bar that's on the back streets of a small caribbean port town and uh talking about the bartender who's been there for 40 years and has seen a lot in that 40 years so that's where that's the context for this this uh, paragraph For 40 years, he worked at the same local watering hole, located on an unnamed back street in Pointe-Marie, Saint-Colette. 
It was a favorite hangout of the buskers and the trinket peddlers after a long day's work fleecing the rubes who spilled off the airbrushed cruise ships like cockroaches tumbling out of a dumpster. Fishermen joined the crowd more often than not, fresh from the reefs that protected the wide water, turquoise waters of Junefilet Bay. Smeared with the remains of entrails and reeking of gasoline, the anglers resembled extras in a low-budget horror film. And on hot nights, when the buzzing static of insects reverberated through the palms and humidity thickened the tropical air, a few old men from the shacks in the hills above town would arrive, slump-shouldered and wearied from listening to the shrill voices of their aggrieved women. Uh, and I, what I was going for there a little bit was kind of a Hemingway-esque uh, scene. Definitely not the kind of prose Hemingway would, uh, would write because the sentences are way too long and a little bit too complicated, but uh, that, was, that was kind of what I was shooting for. And then, then the, oops. Wow, Ooh, I don't know if that nice came through. That was nice and loud. That was good. Did, did it? <laughs> it sounded like a gong. <laughs> yeah, I whacked my, the springs <laughs> on my beam here. Um, then we go into uh, a conversation between the bartender and a customer, uh, which centers on the use of voodoo. So be see, I really, really like, see, this is something I don't feel like I do well. I love the, the, the uh, description in that paragraph, the way that you just described the words you used. It's something that I don't feel like I do very well. And I'll go to my writer's club and there's a couple guys in there um, who write the same way where it's so good. And I'll just be like, man, I wish I could do that. Well, and this, um, this is not actually a, quite a first, well, it's pretty close to the first draft, but I did have to go back in and add some, some more where I use kind of mundane uh, descriptive words. I'd go back in and uh, use some words that were a little bit more evocative. Uh, like I think that probably the original draft of this uh, it was something along the lines of they, you know, they spilled off the the cruise sh uh, ships like uh, I don't know salt out of a tumbler or something like right, that. Right, right, right. And then it suddenly came up to me. No, no, the the, lo the locals are looking at these tourists and they think of them as cockroaches, really. Uh, you know, they're people that there's things that are invading their land, changing the way in which they live. Yeah, they're making money off them, but they'd rather they just go away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the sentence, um, and on hot nights, when the buzzing static of insects reverberated. I mean, those are so many good words right in a row yeah. that, that I, it gives me an image that I don't know if I write like that. So that, I, yeah, it was great. Well, thanks. Um, mine's a little different, though. Mine is, you know, the whole time I was getting edits from my mom, she always said dialogue was my strength. So I'm going to go with some dialogue here. And it... Okay, it reminds me of so there's a podcast I've listened to that I've mentioned many times on this this podcast called 372 Pages. I'll never get back. It's with the two, uh, the one the, the head guy from the end of Mystery Science Theater 3000, and now the one of the three guys at Rift Tracks, Mike Nelson, and then the guy doing the podcast with him is just one of the writers. And his name's Connor Lestoka. And every time I listen to one of those podcasts, Mike will say something like you know, oh, I was listening to like Bach and this happened. And then Connor will go, oh, I was listening to the Wu-Tang Clan. And it kind of reminded me of when you said you wanted to go Hemingway. And I'm going to say now that I wanted to go Luke and Lorelai with this, okay. which is from the Gilmore Girls, okay. um, one of my favorite shows. And they're two of like, you know, you have favorite couples on TV and Luke and Lorelai are one of my favorite couples of all time. Sam and Diane, you know, that, that whole deal. Um, and Luke and Lorelai had this fun, flirty banter that they would always go with until they finally put them together in season four in a great moment and then split them, split them up in season, I don't know, five in a horrific moment for the show. So, um, so I, I have two characters here. Um, I have my, my main character is sitting at a table eating breakfast and he's interrupted by the, the love interest. And I wanted some kind of a flirty banter. So I kind of went with this. She was, she's recently divorced. She has one daughter and she is still learning the routine of her life so she just goes into it 
um, and and talking to him, at, you know, and they're, they're, they just met before, whatever reason, she just goes into this routine. And I, I wanted that flirty banter, so I went like this. Most of the time I do, she said, but my routine has switched yet again. Usually I pick up my daughter after my night shift at the plant, take her home and get her ready for school. Then I take her to school. She paused and took a breath. After school, I pick her up again and take her to my mom's on my way here. Then I grab her from there and my afternoon shift here and take her to her dad's. He gets her overnight. I hope there isn't going to be a test on this later, Sam said. Maybe, so pay attention. Her dad gets her when she's asleep and then and so on and so on. She goes into another long-winded paragraph, which I thought was kind of fun. Which is great. What's great about this is that it's so realistic because this sounds like me and my wife. Uh, <laughs> okay. You know, I, I'm, although you wouldn't know it from this podcast for the first two weeks here where we're, we're pushing on two hours today as well. Um, I'm usually a man of very few words. And, I, <laughs> and even more importantly, when I'm listening to somebody, I want them to communicate to me in few words. But you know, <laughs> my wife and I think it's just probably pretty true with, with women. And I don't this may sound sexist or whatever, but uh, women have a tendency to want to describe and to explain a lot more than men do. Men will just kind of you know say something short and sweet and hope that you get the the gist. Right. Of it. <laughs> women uh, want to make sure you get the the understanding. And yeah, this this is this captures that flavor very well. Um, so I, I really like it. It's really Thank good. you. Yeah. And your mom's right. Your mom's right. You do have a way with dialogue. Di dialogue is always fun. Yeah. All right. I think that is all we have today. So we might not get to two hours, but we got pretty close. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else? Anything you want to add? Oh uh, no, no. I'm. Uh, I think I'm pretty much. Uh... Spence right. for today. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to talk to me, you can email me, jerry at jerryonoff.com. I promise I'll be at the computer where that email hits at some point and I'll reply back to you um, until I actually get something set up to make that easier. Um, my website is jerryevanoff.com. On Twitter, jerrye25. On Facebook, jerryevanoffauthor. Uh, if you like what we do here, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash jerryevanoffauthor. And I promise whatever money you donate, uh, the next time Rich and I are in the same place, I will pay for our meal with that money, which is always fun. It's probably going to be 2023 Vegas probably is what it looks so. like, unless we can get Fiona to set something up for 2023 earlier. Fiona, like yeah, you said, if yeah. you're listening, um, I'm on. What, I'll tell you what, Fiona, I'll go ahead and I'll do all the research for you. You just have to make the contact. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Um, I'm on Snapchat and I'm on Instagram, even though I don't do much on Instagram and I do everything on Snapchat and there are links in the show notes for that if you want to talk to me. Okay, you can email me at rich at rich Kazmerzak, or I'm sorry, rich Casey. Ooh. <laughs> See? See? Ooh, I just outed myself. Yeah, richcasey.com, and it's Casey is K-A-C-Y. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook at facebook.com slash richcaseyauthor. And one day I'll actually get a, a website up, but it's not today. <laughs> Call Caro, Caro is the best, yeah. I'm telling you. Caro is the best. <laughs> all right, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, we will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the new author podcast. Check back next week for another episode. And for more information, find Jerry at www.jerryevanoff.com and Lindsay at www.lindsayevanoff.com. 